Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another all-new X's for Show, which you can check out at X's for Show on all your social media. We are, of course, your weekly media response series. I'm Nico, and you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and I am ready for this TV roundup. And I'm TK. You can find me at TK Elemental, and I don't know if I'm ready for this TV roundup. <laughs> And that makes me Kevo. You can find me over at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And I am definitely not ready for this week's roundup. There are a lot of twists and turns in uh, some of our reality programming. So And a lot uh, of day drinking. And a lot of cake. So that makes that that brings us to our first question. Uh who's got the cakes uh for for this week's broadcast? What's everyone's vote on that? I want to say that you've got all kinds of cakes here. You got like Average golf dad cakes in Mikey Day. You've got overly fit dad cakes in Paul Wesley. But what I like is I like a well-fed dad. And uh, I like when he's got that uh, pushing cushion going on in the back. So uh, I'm going to. I'm going to say 2 million percent goes to Tyler Florence. Um, them the cakes. I do not broadly feel the way about tyler florence that you do but man is it a riot to watch great food truck wars with you that said the question is who's got the cakes and mikey day does not have the cakes mikey day has like a thin batter it's like a dutch baby situation honestly paul wesley for like how hunkified he was in the early 2000s is a pretty uh slender dude uh that that uh enterprise uniform is very slimming slimming on him there's not a lot of roundness so i think by default it just has to go to the big bad dad yeah you know just in terms of sheer volume of cake it really does go to daddy tyler uh mikey day there's just it's not even full cupcake with Mikey Day. It's like hostess cake. And, you know, still love him and would still love to chomp on him. But no, it wasn't going to be Mikey. Um, my cake, my cake of preference would probably be Paul Wesley. Because, uh, yeah, and I remember him all the way back in the uh, the OC days. Uh, but in, in true competitive spirit, yeah, it definitely Tyler Florence for the win. And, you know, if for no other reason, like, the art of being a, a famous TV man is to be uh, a fit TV man. But the art of being a good chef is uh, uh, is filling that food truck, isn't it? So I am a pretty fan, a pretty big fan of not just man cakes, but of course, all kinds of cakes. It's a bizarre thing that we're not covering uh, Summer Bake Off. Right, Summer Baking Championship, which started up the first time ever. Uh, my Precious Holiday Baking Championship with uh, Bakers. Uh, there's another challenge. Yeah, I host The Bachelor. I'm so handsome. Um, there's a summer version now, and that's uh, going strong. So it's shocking to me that we're not covering it. But you know, Maybe we just round it up when it's done. Yeah, exactly. at least so much time Maybe we'll it. find our way to it. We the find our way to you have to admit about those is, I mean, you guys watch them a lot more than I do. I only watch them when I'm with you. But of all the things that you watch, and we're generally doing six things when we watch stuff, that one, seven times out of ten, you are not watching at all. It's just on. And occasionally I look up and go, oh, that one's cute. Yeah. Right? Um, 
you know, it's it's all the same show, and I've seen so much of it so many times. So but, one of the uh, things one of the things about these show though is the nature of them is they're so rewatchable too. So you it, it's light background, uh, you know, entertainment, and you can catch new things on new watches, and that's what I love about all television. Growing up for me, that was unsolved mysteries with Robert Stack. Was she abducted by aliens, or was it the mugger from the freeway? And like, you're, no, it was the mugger. It was not aliens. But people in town disagree. No, it was the mugger. I understand, but it was the mugger. And it was always her uncle. Anyway. I guess we'll um, never know. Them uncles do be mugging. Okay, hold on. So when Unsolved Mysteries was originally on, it was Robert Stack. And Robert Stack was always kind of like, here's a mystery for you to solve. And when they brought it back, it was Dennis Farina. And Dennis Farina was like, can you fucking believe these fucking people got abducted with this shit? It's right? nuts. Did you hear about this thing? Every time, right? And so then it should have been Jonathan Frakes. Well, the uh, new one has nobody. The new one is just like just an AI. That's it. It's just the the heartbeat of the show, right? And that's over on Netflix, right? But speaking of over on Netflix, smooth transition, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, is it cake? I want to go back in time to I am just a young buck. Barely aware of what this podcast and YouTubery is, and uh, how do I pass my my afternoons? Well, like most people, I pass my afternoons by watching Wildin' Out, right? And I loved Wildin' Out. Uh, I don't know if it was just Nick Cannon was charming, or if it was you know it's not exactly like rap battle du jour, but it was always cute sketch comedy. Wildin' Out is just like a drag queen away from RuPaul's Drag Race, though. I don't agree with that, but we'll get to it later. I'm saying there's there's challenges, there's a little bit of physicality, there's a burn book or whatever. Anyway, so um, I love the idea of taking something that is memeable and TikTokery and uh, just that Instagram cracker of goodness that is what we use to get through the day through reels and stories. Uh, you know, do I think it makes a TV show? Well. Maybe. Do I think this is the best TV show I've ever seen? Not even a little bit. I know sometimes I come out with like, you guys don't understand jury duty is going to change television. And Nothing just... is better than this season of Cupcake Masters. And we're like, <laughs> it had six episodes and never came back. It changed the game. Hey, jury duty might have caused the writer's strike. So It might have. It might actually have changed television, but this, perhaps not so much. Now, I watched this, but I watched this on this, but TK, you actually watch, like, the the TikToks. The talks. You know these people. Uh, I don't know the people so much, because so much of the... The The culture. The memes and the videos of this are literally just the object and an off like a hand it's a hand i must know the hands very well but just cut into it and they're like got me again motherfucker um absolutely 
the most impressive ratio of doubt in terms of there's absolutely no effing way this could have made a TV show to I'm actually genuinely impressed what they managed to pull off in terms of a game show that I feel like makes sense. Uh, I do love Crime Scene Kitchen, but there are times where I'm like, and it's especially the thing that we were talking about in the episode where we're really getting into it. The fact that they constantly repeat but if you guessed the right thing, you won't be going home. Uh, yeah. Makes it feel thin. It does make it feel like they just needed one other piece to make it feel like a full competitive cooking show. Is it cake? I'm actually, I, I with my full chest, say that it is a full game. It is a full competition uh, that, to me, is not always interesting, but it never feels thin. And I think part of the magic of what makes Is It Cake work a little bit better than the average let's take uh, a meme and explode it onto a TV show is they sort of embrace the idea that even the experts can be fooled. And that's something that I think Project Runway and Drag Race and American Idol and... I don't know. Is there a competitive element to below deck? Do you try to rack up as many STDs as you can get or something? But um, uh, if there is, I've got uh, some real ideas on the winners, but no. you know, yeah. So, but like, that's even the thing. Like we can see how these experts are experts, but on, is it cake? These people who are like, so this is my life's work. Um, they show up and they go, I literally can't tell what is cake and not. So I'm in it with you guys. There's an accessibility to being an audience member of Is It Cake that's automatically born. Hey, Dad. Uh, hot game show, Dad. Joel McHale. Cousin Nico. Yeah, and Cousin Nico. Nico of the names. Yeah. Uh, he had a ridiculous role in Guardians. But uh, anyway, so I, I really think this is a great way to engage us because there's nobody who is more an expert on guessing Is It Cake than anyone else. So that's sort of exciting. And that must be his O face. There's just no other way. Because, no. you know, the fact of the matter is it is not really a skill thing uh, on, on the part of the judges. It really, right. we, we are all handicapped to the same degree in terms of being able to determine whether or not it is cake. And given the expansiveness of the cooking and baking competition show field, I do think it is a smart direction to go in the, uh, it doesn't super matter how it tastes. Uh, Secondary. It's really about something else. Crime Scene Kitchen tries to do the same thing, but where it fails is it actually keeps saying, it really matters how it tastes, but if you guessed the right thing, it's you know it's it's catching the snitch. Uh, yeah. The, you know what is the point of playing the game otherwise? Uh, is it cake? Really says like this could be a complete and total garbage cake because the fact of the matter is fondant and sculpting uh, sugar clay whatever it's called are gross. They are disgusting. Uh, they are edible in in digestibility <laughs> and uh, gastric solubility. Only. Young people who may not have been to too many weddings and don't know these things. Let me give you this advice now before you get married. Do not do any kind of spectacle cake. Uh, fondant sucks. 
and yep. it's no one just, will thank you no one will thank you and the the spectacularness of a banging wedding cake is so much more worth it than one that like has your faces on it uh, we actually we didn't do wedding cakes we did yeah, we giant did. alcoholic cupcakes we did yeah. uh, like a, a separate dessert buffet with uh, like hand pies, uh, cake pops, and uh, cupcakes. If uh, you're gonna do a crazy cake, it needs to be a piece of art. It not it needs to not feed your guests. Right, exactly. Um, and so, like, I like that. That is the point of this. This is about you know the a lot of the TikToks that have replaced is the thing cake or not are. Um, uh, a few very specific chefs who, um, or I guess confectioners or bakers, who sculpt mm. amazing things. A dragon, uh, the Iron Giant, anything you can think of out love of, uh, you know, uh, chocolate, sugar. Um, I would love to eat a chocolate Vin Diesel. Uh, and then we would have some candy. Um, it's... There is a visual art to these materials that can have nothing to do with the uh, culinary arts that are part of this as well. Uh, and so, you know, long-winded way of saying very smart of them to focus on that aspect and not the the culinary aspect because <laughs> there's just too many of those at this point. Kevo, can I take you back in time? Please right. do. So um, there's a, uh, I, you know, when you wish you could actually have music cues for your life, whenever yeah. I want to go back in time, there's like four Mariah Carey beats I want to drop in, either The Roof or Dedicated, a lot of throwbacks. I've always been convinced for years that that would be something that would happen, that we would get personal fanfare devices and it would be like common for people to, you know, like have the button come on when they walk into a room and it's just like, burr, 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 burr. okay. There's this amazing Golden Girls joke where Sophia is talking and she's like, ah, yes, I remember that year so well. I was sailing to America. There was a war coming and the radio was playing songs like this. Hit it. Hit it. Dorothy, where the hell's our piano player? And like, that's my life. Yeah, that is um, your life. Yeah, I feel so like I need we to as, we as a culture should agree to do that and make the music available and think less of people that don't have solid cues for themselves. Well, so I want to take us back, Kevo. A million billion years ago, we, we worked for the Walt Disney Company, which meant that yeah. I could never participate in the American Idol experience, which, uh, I, you know, I wasn't going to win American Idol or anything. I'm not a door Delano, but um, I really <laughs> like 13. applause. So. Uh, I really wanted to do the American Idol experience and we happened to be at a Star Wars celebration party and it was an after hours party where you got to do some cool things and everybody and was this, a paid ticket event and everybody in our group really understood that this was like a dream for me and everybody said go lose four hours from this party to go be an American Idol experience they were right? drunk they didn't care and so we go <laughs> And uh, I I did not win, right? But uh, I did get an offer for uh, to work in entertainment for Disney because I did do pretty okay. Um, but the actual story here is the person who beat me 
it was like seriously the most talented singer you've ever seen in real life facing off against the fusion of Celine Dion and Jennifer Hudson. This woman was a semi-professional vocalist for the Disney company. She had been recorded for Disney albums. She was already in entertainment. So like she was, yeah, she was already like in a union. Like, so I lost to like a legitimate professional. But the other ringer. woman, the other woman who performed was basically Ken Lee to Libu Dibu Douchu doing hot stuff <laughs> and she like knew she wasn't a singer she just knew she was gonna have fun right she knew this was not about really uh, a breadth of talent this was about joy and what i'm trying to get at here is some of these fakes most of them were excellent but like it's the boom box the boombox was the most obvious fake in the whole show, unfortunately. Uh, the record was not far was off. There. And it's because everybody, I just need you guys to think about vertical circles. It's just not the same thing. Ugh. But the fact of the matter is, they do a really good job of, uh, you know, giving reference objects that are janky too. It is not unreasonable to see something where you're like, why, why the fuck? Like, that is so misshapen and terrible. That's clearly a cake, cause, but it's not. You know, there, there are methods of distressing physical objects. And again, that's a whole other part of this that has nothing to do with whether or not, you know, the, the, the sponge is light and fluffy or <laughs> the frosting is, is uh, creamy and airy. Like, if you can figure out how to distress your reference object, you're killing it. Um, so I do hear you about the record player, but uh, I don't know. Everything to me, at every moment, I'm like, it's believable. And what had... Did you have more? I'm sorry. No, 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 go, and I'll get to mine after. It's just, it's what was really wild about this season is specifically um, the way it went to both sides of the judges guessed every single one, and it was one of the few instances where taste was taken into consideration as a factor because they had nothing else. Um, but then how many times the judges couldn't figure it out, and it was really wild seeing that this season um, specifically that it went in both directions. And this show really is such a rare case of the judges need to work too. And they work hard and they get stressed. And it was always interesting and entertaining to see the judges' reactions to guessing someone's correctly and seeing the devastation on the baker's face that they were figured out. And they were like, I'm, I'm sorry. I thought I was supposed to guess it correctly. I'm sorry. And... <laughs> I don't know how many of the judges were prepared for that when they came in. Uh, can somebody remind me the unbelievably funny guy that I love from SNL that was in this? Uh, Chris Red. Funny people. Thank on you. SNL now? Uh, I don't know if he's still on, but I think Chris Red is. I think brilliant. he left recently. I think he's uh, very talented. Um, I thought his his difficulty in connecting with making a decision in that first episode was really fascinating, right? Because one of the things that Is It Cake is so humanizing for is 
this is something that even celebrities know that people are trying to make dreams out of, right? I love a game show called To Tell the Truth. And To Tell the Truth is in a long line of beautiful game show tradition. Uh, you know, very Goodman Todd, very Merv Griffin Enterprises, you know, the good ones, right? And so Anthony Anderson and Mama Doris are perhaps one of the best uh, funny man, straight man combos, like literally since Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon, like they are so good together, right? Um, but one of the things about it is these celebrities, and sometimes, you know, it's Isla Fisher, so, you know, celebrity, right? But um, <laughs> I meant <laughs> uh, Isla Schlesinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um same difference and she would make that joke too she was great on it every time but uh i think one of the things is like the person will be like i'm the first person to ever write a book of poetry upside down in space while eating a reptile and oh and like it's so far removed from things we associate with talent because it's so specific but the idea of art is human the idea of Food is human and everybody has a story about every fucking cake they make. There is something that Chris Red not being able to pick up uh, an entry that first time it made really clear to me. It's exactly what you guys are saying. Nobody wants to kill dreams, but like you are literally paid to do so. And I think the one thing, if I could go in and muss up the format at all, I might change what we call the people guessing, not call them judges, and sort of make it a um, a password type thing where, you know, like it is a bit collaborative. Between the panel. Them. Yeah. Um, mm. And, you know, just because, again, it's just these people aren't the people guessing aren't really authorities the people creating are not food people are uh, you know are not doing this entirely based on being experts in cooking they are doing it based on their ability to sculpt with a particular medium uh i have to imagine as long as you can make a yellow cake you can kind of do this yeah i mean like if you are an absolute garbage baker but you are really good at sculpture you might be really good for this show so it's kind of about different things and while competitive food sculpture is a thing and this might be people's dreams there's also a way in which it could be something a little more playful uh because this market is not like you know, if when you're on next level chef, you're like, I'm really hoping to open my next restaurant. Uh, and I know all of these people have dreams, but it's a little less A to B to say, like, I want to get from this show to sculpting horrible cakes that no one wants to eat, but everyone <laughs> wants to see professionally. Uh, so, you know, there's just this like playful aspect to it that I would love for them to lean into even more and just kind of pull away from that standard our distinguished panel of judges who have no more or less right to be judging this stuff than anybody else does because literally uh it's who has the like most eagle-eyed eyesight that can pick the minute details there was one we saw where uh i think it was a helmet and you could clearly see the cake through a piece of the helmet and i was just so confused why nobody guessed it me too that was the only one where i was like it's not because it's bad it is that there's this 
missing element, which is covering Spot. up a hole yeah. where, uh, you know, flour is showing through. <laughs> and, like, even the boombox didn't have that. That was the one where I was like, it's clearly cake, not because it's misshapen, but because I can see the cake. Kevin, I, you're going to say you have a weigh-in on this. I do agree that the diversity of panelists is really something that sets this apart because exactly like you said, not everyone is in this for the same dreams and goals. Everyone is different ages. They all have different perspectives. But what I don't want is leaning more into contestants like this one who spent the entire season mm -hmm. desperately pleading with the audience saying that she needs to fix her ceiling and she's afraid that her home is going to collapse if she doesn't win the competition. So every time, what's the money round called again? Cake or money or whatever it is. Is it cake or is it money? Cake yeah. money sadness every time. time every time she went on and failed and was like i guess i don't have a roof still that's not is it cake two's fault and it just made it real awkward every single time so like i love this kid was a student and didn't know what a walkman was that was funny um this guy was a dad and suspiciously never talked about his wife nico had a big crush on him Oh my god, yeah. Cake Tyler? Oh yeah. Oh lord, we can't talk about this guy too much. Pete in I shorts. Guy is so handsome. He's a sweetie. Uh, Mormon man. Um, and, okay, but hold on. Whenever anybody's like, this is because I love my children. Like, whatever we, I want to say, if your whole thing is like, I just want my kids to think they can be better than they are. Yeah, everybody, like, you know. We want to believe in the myth of a good father. Yes. Really? That is, I think, what it comes down to. I can kind of pretend I don't know anything else about this guy, because I don't. But that he wants to be a good dad, that that pulls at the the wants to be a good dad in my heart. There's a decent cast this season. There's the cast list. I only noticed as I was making this visual that they're sitting boy-girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's why it's all girls on the bottom and all boys on the top, because I was doing, like one after the other and i was like oh why are they standing boy girl this is not sixth grade okay but uh, hold sixth on sixth grade how old liz, am i oh my god so liz evidently is the person who sort of developed the artistry of uh cake design as like a tiktok sport she like literally wrote the book that four of these contestants are like i only learned how to do this because of her books I watch her channel. I watch her show. I study her. And she goes home third. And she's like, I literally have to rethink my entire life's purpose at this point. She says it as a joke, but that's not really something you say as a joke when you are the is it cake like origin. You're in the some is way. in is it cake. You're you're the is the it and the question mark but it turns out you're not the cake you, you, you ain't got the cake it uh, is it she does look like rashida jones doing a character so yeah okay uh, you know, also a little bit you combine terrace i was gonna say if you combine rashida jones and uh rachel bloom she's got a little I rachel bloom it. in there too yep definitely um that really does speak to what i'm talking about in terms of like this is not the most 
competitive, I need this for my career one-to-one show. And it shouldn't be. Uh, Also, I just can't get over how much Jared looks like Daniel Radcliffe doing Weird Al. Yes, he absolutely does. That was literally my hair growing up. Anybody who's ever wondered, literally, that's exactly what I looked like. The glasses, the hair, the facial hair. I mean, really. I mean, I had a beard. Kind of. Yeah. If he was taller. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that is what the pictures look like. Um, I just want to say my top choice had been Spirit the whole season. Uh, She had a fearlessness that I found really endearing and really what I want in a competitor. I don't want anybody to be smarmy, but I want somebody to be certain. And like Spirit gave me confidence in a way that made me want to root for her. Um, And of course, I have literally said some um, questionable things about uh, Johnny Cakes on the internet and uh yeah from last season that's why i wanted the uh visual for us johnny is our favorite yeah he's very nice this was our favorite from last season he's been very nice about some of the more lascivious things i've said about him and i'm very i'm sure he has he's been very nice about it thank you johnny uh you were literally one of the handsomest uh reality contestants in history so Thank you. Is it cake? You will have always given us Johnny Cakes, one of the most beautiful men to ever be on a reality show. So, for me, I would say Justin is maybe the hottie of this season, but wasn't really about that this season. He was even eliminated early too. So, like, uh... did anybody have any favorite? Looks like Anitra wearing a fake beard sneaking into a reality <laughs> TV show. I didn't win Drag Race, so Man, I would find uh, that attractive, though. Yeah, oh, one hundred percent. I mean, Anitra doing anything very attractive, but, you know, throw a disguise in the mix. I'm like, she's a spy. Uh, yeah. Um, Any favorite well, judges or whatever we want to call them, cake detectives? Uh, Joel Kim Booster, who could, you know. Go, go, boy, uh, in my life anytime. Just going to say it that way. That was the cleanest way you possibly could have said it, and I'm so impressed. Uh, <laughs> I There were plenty that I was like, I don't really know who this person is, and I don't really care. They're they're fun. Uh, it's probably Kirby Halbatiste, um, who was not like an amazing judge, but I just yeah. love her so much, uh, and I'm so And hearing everyone gush over her was great. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just so excited for the next uh, season of Sandman. Uh, She's here, you guys. There she is. That's exactly what she looks like. (laughs) Hey, Kirby. Is this cake? I I was bummed that Lonnie Love and Bobby Moynihan were on with a person that I think is questionable in terms of their morality and chosen profession on television. But that's a story for another day. I just hey, where's what I don't see which one which episode is uh, Bobby season in finale uh, Karamo Brown because Karamo. Bobby oh know. last season right yeah. yeah my crush on Bobby Moynihan who's no pounds he's great um so I just yeah I, I everybody that I liked I I thought everybody was basically great uh, I only have bad things to say about the people that I don't like and it's just the Demilios get the Demilios yeah. out of here and by here I mean the United States. Let's deport them. Oh, wait. One one, one thing I have to change. Uh, yeah. Favorite judge from this season? Hands down, Melissa Villasenor. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a really fun episode. That, I, yeah. And that I was just, the 90s one, too. Yeah. She's so great. 
And she's uh, really fantastic. And then that was the one with Joel Kim Booster, who was great too. I just say Anna Camp kind of faded into the background for that one, which uh, God bless her. That is sort of what she tends to do. God bless, love her, love her work. Um, I feel like there were fewer randos this season, like um, less Hester Sunshine, Rebecca Blacks. But um, how dare you call Rebecca Black a rando, sir? Man, I would really enjoy Black Sunshine and Hester Rebecca. Ooh, Black Sunshine would be an amazing collaboration between oh, and Rebecca them. Rebecca Hester, obviously. I'm so dumb. Black Sunshine by Rebecca Hester. Um. So okay. Final thoughts. Yeah, we gotta we gotta close this uh, good boy out. Um, My final thought is that yes, it is cake. Yeah. Okay. Would we like to see more cake? Is this something that we think is a sustainable little engine? If they wanted to call it, is it cake tres leches? I yeah, I don't. I, I don't know that this is something you can build a whole franchise out of. Necessarily. Seasonal puns would be freaking wild. But yeah, is it Christmas? Or is it is it holiday cake? Is I it spooky know. cake? Yep. And I would even take Christmas cake because it's okay to call it Christmas. Uh, yeah, that would be. Is it fruit cake? Yeah. Um, I I would love to see the franchise branch out. I'd love to see some, uh, you know, holiday specials. Um, <laughs> is it roast beef? Yeah. Now that would be amazing. One where it's oh. just like this is actually not cake, but we're doing the same thing. A whole Thanksgiving feast. Nope, it's woodworking. Yeah. What? Uh, I you still have to bite into it and taste it. You sure do. I would love for them to dial in the elements that I was talking about and really decide what they want this whole thing to be. Uh, but I do think it is a blast, and um, yeah, I this is definitely one that I will continue to watch. Well, I guess I'm... we say it's cake. I say, I say we say it's cake, you know, and until Spirit inherits the Spirit Halloween franchise, uh, make mine cake. Uh, every day should be a Howie day unless you're a flight attendant. Um, Mikey day. And then you can make it a Mikey day instead. All right. Are they, are they stood in, uh, they're almost stood in height order, except for Crazy Roof Lady yeah. is breaking it down. That's really These funny. two are a little out of uh, order yeah, so it's yeah, more yeah, like yeah. a it's like a it's like a oop, oop. it's like a little it's long a sound slogan. wave it's a backwards story arc thing i see it you know. i see it it ends yeah, on yeah. like uh okay yeah so it's yeah. like shakespeare jared's the denouement and speaking of shakespeare <sighs> all right we had some... the drama we had some shocking eliminations this week, you guys. They were, I was actually kind of shook. And, um, like, you know, I think it's really cute that we're going from, I had, I had a segue ready before, and it was that we're going from Dequas to Duck Walks. Um, uh, always appropriate. True. Although that least shocking elimination there. So now we're going to hold Project Runway spoilers till after. Our uh, sexy, I mean, special guest has departed because he's oh, a little behind on good to know. Project Runway. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, what is going to go down in my book as two legendary episodes in a row. 
the face crack was forever alexis michelle okay but uh let's bring to the stage jonah am i doing it oh could you i'm sorry i don't know hello hello handsome hi love me I'll put you above me so you can give yourself your intro and I can flash your little banner. That's why I was taking so long to introduce you. Uh, hi, everyone. If you want to see me sashaying, not really, over on the internet, you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. And I just want to say that uh, Jonah sounds a little different today because uh, big man over there uh, got himself a, a big new place and uh, he's all excited. And the echo chamber is uh because it's actually uh wharfs nine through seven at chelsea piers um no but he has a new place and so we're just so happy he could even be here so thanks so much for making the time big uh, big mover weekend guy yeah happy to be here um let's get this roaster cooking apparently yeah all right now i just want to say going into this i really my top three because I expected a top three, not a top two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd really quickly yeah, kind fallen. Of. Yeah, right. I'd fallen madly in love with Jimbo immediately. I had always had a pretty damn near problematic crush on Alexis Michelle because I think she is one of the most beautiful men, and uh, just really disappointed by her performance this season. And uh, my other choice was Lala Ree, who I'm. I, I came in a Lala Stan and am leaving like Lala Uber Stan. You know, I got so much from this season. My top three queens of all time are uh, probably Bianca, Shay, and now Jimbo. But Lala, you are like number four for me, girl. I love you. Um, how does everybody feel about their initial expectations of a top three versus what we have? For me, this was the top three. I expected not necessarily wanted Mm -hmm. but i did expect this to be the top three it is um jimbo is the right kind of crazy for rupaul that rupaul loves rupaul loves candy muse and jessica wilde is very fucking talented and so amiable that helps a lot too to get very far truly Jonah, I think you nailed it. This was this was, I think, the one I thought was there. I guess when it all started, Jimbo was a bit of a wild card for me because every time Jimbo has been sent home, it hasn't quite felt right. Well, in UK versus the world, it really didn't feel right. Um, or uh, yeah, um, but on her season. She didn't perform well when she got eliminated, but also she had just like the harshest elimination in like drag race history. And it's something that we talk about a lot more than whether or not she should have been eliminated. So I went into it feeling like she was a little bit more of a wild card. It seemed very clear that Candy would make it far again because Candy makes very good TV. Um, I thought it was possible that queens like Darian and James might really be the kind of surprise, uh, you know, takers off who would really kind of charm people and we'd all get really into them. Um, but this was kind of about where I suspected we would end up. Um, I 
my feelings about who I wanted would really change on like a day to day basis and on an episode to episode basis in really good ways. I thought everybody was really fun and talented. And this was a season where it, you could really see the mix of who was having an off day, who was not particularly suited for this kind of challenge. And it was just kind of a, a really interesting back and forth each episode. Um, but there's been like a sort of overproduction to every episode and especially like each queen's kind of personal overproduction of themselves that has kind of like, I feel like scrambled my radar while I watch. Now I need to ask a question that I think is the question right now for everybody after her, you know, uh, let's call it problematic elimination of my queen, La La Rie. Alexis Michelle, there's this moment where when she hears Jimbo say her name, <laughs> you can see there's this look in her eyes where she goes, it's me. It's always been me. I've, it's always been my fault. It's, I've always it's been heading look, for this. It's the same look that Jan gives when she uh, does not win the Madonna challenge. Yeah. She's just in the background staring into the void of disappointed space. All right, guys, sound off on the, the face crack of the millennium for me. Um, oh, that she was eliminated. Was, that was your face crack. The, the look on her face. Okay. She really didn't it see was it coming. So good. Listen, uh, someone pointed out, uh, um, a few episodes ago for the um, improv challenge uh, with it's her and Kahan on the bottom and uh, Lala pulls Kahana's lipstick. She goes, <gasps> Kahana. Like she gives the most dramatic, like Alexis Michelle is, is specifically there to make good TV. When she wins her challenge, she goes <sighs> and heaves and haws and makes this whole big production over nothing where people are like, I'm picking you. Bye. And they, the producers be like, no, we need you to give a little bit more. You have to kind of, like, give us something to work with. Alexis Michelle is, like, people often joke, I, I belay, uh, Alexis Michelle is, the, is the, the graph of the contestant where we're like, they're producing themselves. Alexis Michelle is producing herself. And also, Alexis needs to produce her credit at this point. She's trying to produce Drag Race. Like, she's absolutely producing herself at all times, but then she's trying to produce the show as well and, like, really see what else she can get in to situate herself in the best possible way. And for all of the effort she puts into doing it, she's not very good at it. <laughs> she's really uh or maybe she is maybe she the thing that is most impressive is that she's good at producing herself and really good at making it look like uh she just totally flubbed when it's actually exactly what she intended to do i don't uh, think so though i i truly <laughs> do not either i really cannot imagine that she would have if she thought better of it put herself in some of the positions that she did where she is now the subject of quite a lot of at best I would say doubts about her uh, allyship to various communities and at worst you know she's basically kind of being called out for some 
pretty uh, serious racism. So, you know, I, I'm just not sure about her. And I kind of feel like one of the things is that when Alexis Michelle was a special kind of delusional, I could root for her because I was like, this girl just does not get it. But now it feels a little too coached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that like, and this is not about Alexis in particular, but it's something that I feel about when reality contestants come back for a second time and they become someone a little different. Yeah. And I guess my question is, if I could have Diker Heights, why would I go for Williamsburg? If I could have a place that looks like nowhere else, why would I go for something hip and trendy why wouldn't you give me the thing that you, Alexis Michelle, are the one in a billion for? Why did you give me generic reality villainous? And you saying that, it makes me think of my reaction to her and her season nine sister and fellow contestant, Valentina, where you look at Valentina at somebody who Valentina produces herself, cut, print, everything, but it really worked for me in All Stars 4 because it felt like, oh, I'm getting a glimpse to how delusional this person is and living in their own French vanilla fantasy and her coconut head, as she said. And it makes sense because she, she herself views herself as the star. But when Alexis is producing herself, especially in this season, comparative to season nine, it felt off. It felt, okay, you're, it doesn't, I am that. This is how. This is how I think the difference is. That is how Valentina acts if there are cameras or not. Perfect. I don't know that yeah. is exactly how Alexis acts when there are not Definitely cameras. Not. I also think it's a good. Go ahead. I also think it's a matter of ex, uh, producing yourself at the expense of the narrative that the actual producers mm-hmm. are trying to produce. You're trying to center yourself as as something that. The production is not, and you, you can't fight the people that are going to edit this show. This isn't some sort of plot on High School Musical, the musical, the series, where they're secretly making a different musical than the school thinks they're making. You can't produce a separate show, Alexis. I think and you know, Valentina's big uh, lesson from her first season was having a contingency plan if mm. she was not going to be the winner. She yep. really, you know, her failure was not, was thinking she was invincible. And, you know, she lucked out in that seeing her fail made her even more likable. And she was just kind of so off off the rails that it she was like, just waiting for her night. Yeah. I'm on my <laughs> yeah, way, baby. That's, that's what happened. Uh, and so she, when she comes back for All Star, she even has a plan for, you know, so you think I could go home tonight? She had plans. It's my favorite moment. Yeah, she had plans <laughs> for if, if she was not uh, gonna win, and so she, and so she was from there on out. She's all set. Uh, Alexis really doesn't have contingencies and plans. She's just kind of making it up as she goes along. And the best example of that is, you know, getting down there and, and like deciding to have a heart to heart with Lala Ree where she says, you did this for me, I will do this for you. Which she did not have to say. She just as easily could have said, you did this for me, I really hope I'm able to do this for you. Uh, I hope I can repay you someday in some way. You did this for me, good. Yeah, thanks. 
she says, I will save you. And then when the moment comes, she just doesn't do it because she thinks I will get in more trouble with America if I send home the girl whose track record is technically better. Uh, and I think that simply is not the case. And then I also think she adds a little spice of like, I'm scared of candy, which I do not think was smart. I think talking about how she's like, even, you know, just subtly indicating she is scared These of super candy. predators. <laughs> <laughs> is not is not smart no matter what i think unless you know you are genuinely scared about your physical safety from another queen it's not smart to go in that direction um no. and so you know she just didn't have a plan in place for what she would do and should have learned from valentina actually no i think she did i want to make a slight argument i think hmm. she did have a plan she thought she could hitch her wagon to candy because yes. she recognizes that Candy is a stronger competitor and has a far more likelihood to make it to the top two than Lala Ray. And who, if you save Candy now, I think Alexis thought Candy's going to take. I can hitch my wagon. Candy's going to take me to the top two with her, and that was not the case. And that is why we saw that face crack because Alexis had this plan, and it didn't go anywhere near where it was supposed to for her. Now, I need to just say goodbye to a competitor who changed my opinion. I tend to go into these seasons of All-Stars when I don't know a girl and I make a decision about her right away. I knew from the moment I saw her that I would kill for Shangela. I knew instantly she was a gift to this earth. Uh, But she wasn't going to win. And like... I saw Jessica Wilde and I was like, mm, here's another Nasha. Here's, oh, and then we saw that image of Nasha in the coming week and I was like, who is that goddamn king? Oh, it's Nasha, of course. <sighs> right? I'm so attracted to Nasha all the time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't know. Most people have porn, but I just have the drag race contestants. They're so beautiful, every one of them. I don't even know. Um, anyway, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, Jessica Wilde, you won me over. You won my heart. You are beautiful. You are talented. You're funny. You're proud of your culture. You're proud of your language. You never shy away from the fact that you have an accent and you have a good time when people don't get you. Jessica Wilde, I want Lala Ree to win the fame games because Lala Ree is my queen, but... I'm so glad I was wrong about Jessica Wilde and that she is an absolute all-star. Really, 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 you guys were so right. She is an all-star. I The thing I really want to give her so many props for is one thing Drag Race does that I don't love is I think they are fully aware of the handicap that uh, the especially the Puerto Rican queens, but any queen who does not speak English as a first language, they're fully aware of that handicap and that's okay. It's uh, better to compete on the show than not because of that handicap. But sometimes they talk to the queens and they put them in situations where it is not factored in. And, uh, you know, a queen stumbles and there's no grace for the fact that this is a... performance challenges where you have to speak in front of an audience and so i never want to pit those queens against each other and say like that the ones who fail to get a point across are 
in some way falling down on the job. But I do have to give Jessica Wilde so much credit for not only always, you know, owning her her accent and her language and her heritage but at times actually making it an asset for her own brand her roast and the way she delivers um she it's it is better that she has an accent and it is better that english is not Mm. her first language and she writes that into some of the jokes in a way that is just top tier and I, you know, there are queens that I felt really bad that their the their language was a, a handicap in particularly like roasts or comedy challenges. Uh, and I was just so impressed that Jessica managed to not just overcome a potential challenge, but like actually really make it work for her. Oh, a hundred percent. I I I love me Jessica Wilde. I wish she's she was one of those queens that. Um, they even mentioned in All Stars 1 they were actually kind of expecting to see her because a lot of the queens know that she's a very fierce competitor and she's extremely talented, extremely gorgeous, extremely charismatic. Literally, all the tenants of Drag Race, I think um, Jessica really exemplifies. Um, you know, I, I she speaks how I imagine a lot of my family members speak that are, you know, in Puerto Rico that came over from, from there. And, um, it's, she's just one of those queens where she doesn't try hard. And I think she's very funny in certain aspects without, without trying to be, I constantly say, I love this drink her saying, and she loved the soft shell taco. It, It is, the way that she's able to utilize being ESL is so amazing and wonderful. It is one of the most fascinating things that she's able to bridge and like really hone to make entertainment out of it. It is beautiful and amazing. Um, and she's just, she's, I'm just, it is of note that especially uh, current day on main season drag race, a lot of the queens who are ESL from Puerto Rico really get cast aside. They really don't want anything to do with them. Uh, most recent example, I, I believe, is season 14, like Alyssa Hunter. They kind of didn't really want to do any, anything to do with her. And I felt, you kind of just feel bad. I understand that obviously people have to go home early. That happens. There's nothing we can do about that. It's a competition. But it does feel like mm, you, you don't seem to care about her. And I, I get often feel bad for the contestants where production doesn't seem to care for. And it's also that they don't get to do things like be on pit stop and like, they don't really get in the world of wonder orbit in the same way that a lot of other Queens and particularly ones that speak English as a first language very noticeably do. And of course that's always a mix of things. It's, you know, how popular the character was, but it is a tough thing Especially because we have so many, you know, like Drag Race España, Drag Race Mexico. There are so many places where you could go and be successful and have not have a language handicap. So to put the work in to be part of this particular part of the brand and just get cast aside is a real, real bummer. Now, Kevo, I want to get your thoughts on who you think is going to win from the top two. 
you giving it to Candy or are you giving it to you giving it to Jimbo? I mean, as we pointed out, they're kind of yin yang. One is yeah. kind of like the rough one, the 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 more fierce, aggressive tone. And but she's still got that good center. She's still a very good person in there. Like she just is gruff outward. And then you've got the one who literally is like, look at me, I'm nothing but joy. But then every now and then in uh, her confessions is like, I will kill a bitch if they get between me and my giant cupcake trophy. Gosh, who do I think is going to win? Waldorf, Thockbat, or Toots from Drawn Together? That's a great, great question. Um, I believe... How dare I? But am I wrong? (laughs) No. Uh, And Jessica can be clarifying. Uh, I believe the winner for this season uh, is RuPaul milking this season for all it's worth by shoving in a anti-finale in between this and the real finale with the fame games. Candy's reaction when she didn't win? Not, Not basically literally calling Rue a bitch audibly under her breath on the oh, audio. Alexis. No, Candy, when she didn't win the Fame Games this week. The the when she didn't win the 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 lip sync and the money went to the final oh, fame game. Yeah, yeah. Candy All was right. like, oh, so I don't get money. Okay, bitch. Or something. Like very rude and aggressive <laughs> about the host of the program. Audibly on mic. Uh yeah, the Fame Games has been uh, definitely this looming threat all season, and now we have to wait two weeks for the finale because we still have the Fame Games finale. So I say RuPaul is the winner of this season, as always. Smart. Listen, and I don't have to answer the question. Smart. If the Fame Games is not the sort of any, uh, you know, the penult- the sort of penultimate episode that is Allison Janney is the mother of the island. If Lala Ree is not the mother of the island, I'm not watching. I do genuinely have to give her. I didn't think it was going to be an episode. And so the fact that she's been talking about it all season yeah. and now like, oh, there is a thing that yeah. I just thought someone was going to be announced as the winner and that would be it. So, okay, this is something. I'll be interested to see what exactly it entails. I do yeah. not want them doing another challenge, but one thing I have said for a long time is I think they should be doing pageants uh, mm. because they get so many pageant queens and they never get the chance to show what they do in their element. And uh, this as like a way to do like even just like kind of a mini pageant or a casual pageant of some kind. Because comedy queens literally get to do acting, stand-up comedy, roasts, uh, singing queens almost inevitably will get to sing. Uh, There is pageantry to the entirety of Drag Race, but a pageant is itself a very an event and a, a specific kind of event. And I think Drag Race should do them. And it seems like the Fame Games might be driving towards that. And having seen about a billion challenges now, uh, doing what, like, even, I don't want, like, another Lollapurusa type thing. Like, I, I really would mm. love to see what I feel like they are, they have been talking about and giving us as an indicator for what the Fame Games are. Uh, that'd be cool. And... You know, at this point, I I feel like there are like five queens that I really 
want to see get something out of this. And so I, I'm excited to really not have my pick. I do love Lala, like you said. I, Nasha or not Nasha, I'm sorry, Monica Beverly Hills being like, I need this, broke my heart. And part of me really was like, maybe I'm just voting for her because she needs this. And... I have a hole in my roof and my floor. And if you don't give me the cake award, I will never stop crying. It really was the first thing I thought about when that came up. Yeah. Um, and then Jessica, because Jessica has just been incredible and she incredible. shouldn't have left uh last episode so maybe giving her this kind of secondary prize would be cool so i don't know i'm i'm now not convinced and i'm excited for the episode i hope it delivers Mm. jonah you gotta lay it on me fame games uh you know what are your thoughts on fame games who do you think is gonna win the top two and uh we opened this episode with a very serious question jonah and you have to answer because uh I know how you think, and as soon as you hear the question, I'm really excited already. Oh, and you uh, can answer for all three uh, options. Who's got the best cakes? Is it Mikey Day, Tyler Florence, or Strange New World's Kirk, Paul Wesley? Who is somebody from Vampire Diaries, I understand. He's the Vampire Diaries. Who's the one that's not the guy from Lost? He's the diary. Oh, good He's the diary. Um, He's the diary. The guy from Lost is the vampire. He's kinky boots. Got it. Yeah, he is. Well, for for me, for what I like, to answer the cake question, I'm going to vote Tyler Florence. Tyler Florence. That's why. He is the winner. He is the winner this week. (laughs) We we all agree. Whatever, anything he's on, he just makes me happy. He just makes me smile. He seems like he's a good time kind of guy. I also just love uh, butchering. Let's get rolling. I love going food truck, race, race, food truck. I love sneaking like a palindrome. Something Great dumb. food, truck food. So yeah. <laughs> you got to, now that uh, now that all the blood is in the wrong place, you got to talk to me about fame uh, games. And you got to talk to me about how damn hot Nasha looks. What is that? And you got to talk to me about who you think is going to win of two unbelievably talented polar opposite queens the only thing they have in common is they're both funny yes um the both thing they have in common is that rupaul loves them and they make rupaul piss herself every time they're interact um so for the fame games my guess for the top two are going to be jessica wilde and darian lake from I my internet sleuthing and my, my, you know, my, my detective, me doing the Shangela, uh, the Sherlock Holmes drag, I've gathered that people have really enjoyed the package that Darian has brought. Mm-hmm. And I cannot disagree. I think Darian is such a shame we lost somebody who's so um, charismatic, funny, and talented so early on. I would have loved to see her in Snatch Game again. I would have loved yeah. to see her just do so many of these challenges. Darian in this roast, I, I I have so much faith in her, but I'm, you know, one of the things I think about season six is all her runways were, you know, the most spectacular. And even, even when you think about it in the context of how early that was in terms of just the mainstream drag phenomenon career, the package wasn't as spectacular as some of her other competitors. But to see that her runways were so stepped up was really like, oh, she really came to win this. And she probably could have. Um, 
So I, I from I, I know a lot of people are really excited and really have enjoyed her thus far in the fame game. So I, I really would be hard pressed to see her not there. And um, Jessica Wild, a lot. Jessica Wild, I think got the greatest grip of Drag Race is when the fans are completely on your side and want you to win, and you get this robbed narrative. Um, and Jessica's a winner. Jessica is a winner, hands down. No matter no matter whatever happens, Jessica's going to be booked and blessed, and we're all going to be better for it. Um, I, I genuinely, but um, yeah, I, it's we often make the joke work fan favorite, and the fame games are essentially a fan favorite vote. Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely going to be Jessica and Daria. That, that that's my that is my my guess, and I'm sticking to it. If I may just jump in on Darian for one moment, <clears throat> I I would like to be a different kind of pit crew guy. I would like to come out in a shirt and tails, and I would like to escort the women down the runway. I would like to escort them everywhere, and uh, I would gladly, for some of these ladies, uh, do some unspeakable acts. But to that end, I just want to say that when I think about the kind of gentleman I would be in uh, shirt and tails, I would really be proud to walk Darian Lake. I would be like, I, she's the kind of classy, beautiful woman that like I dream of getting to escort down uh, a red, red carpet. She is funny, brilliant, beautiful, ageless, but so beautiful in her age. Oh, man, Darian, if you ever need an escort around uh, Central Jersey or New York City, beautiful, you just call me. I will. Uh, I'll show you a good time. It's not too. Bad. I'm from New York. She's now, in Rochester. Uh, yeah, and I uh, Rochester. So, um, Kevo. Uh, yeah. Oh, holy! I, I didn't say. Who oh no! I'm about to say, Kevo. Good to have you back uh, to catch you up. Jonah was about to tell us who he thinks he's going to win before he boops out. <laughs> uh, so you cut me off. I didn't finish. Um, but. To quickly avoid the question, I need to talk about uh, the most recent lip sync assassin uh, because I am a huge oh Toronto what a, fan. What a queen. I, I, I literally messaged TK to say she was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in the history of Drag Race and why lip sync. I can't really even describe how much I love Priyanka. I, I know you got spoiled for the winner of her season, but um, I, I love... I, I, she... Priyanka is just so I can't I, I it's indescribable. Indescribable my love for Priyanka. So I was so happy to see her. Um she's somebody I'm really hoping for. I, I don't want to be one of those fans, but I'm like, I really want to see her for all winners too, if they ever do it. Um so you know. Uh, shout out shout out to Priyanka. Um <laughs> which I'll explain that meme later. I don't have time. Um as for who I think is going going to win, Jimbo. I, I, you know, we look at the report card, Jimbo has most wins. We look at the fan voting currently, Jimbo is leading by a very large margin. Not to say that Katie doesn't have support. She has plenty of likes as well. But when I look at these top two, and these are two incredible, phenomenal, talented people, people I would love to see, people I would love to work with, people that just exemplify great all-stars. For my money... I think third time is the charm and give Jimbo a crowd. <laughs> because the way I look at it, and I'm really hoping it doesn't come down to a lip sync because I don't always know if that's exactly fair because not every queen lip syncs. That's not their game. 
you know, you look at one of the most talented, most phenomenal winners of Bianca Del Rio, and she doesn't look sick. It's not what she does in her acts. She's a drag queen who does. She's too busy working. She's <laughs> I'm telling jokes. Exactly. Telling jokes. Baloney. She's I'm just too busy yelling baloney. Which, a la Jimbo, throwing baloney at people that's apparently just next to their feng shui down there. Um, it's. You, I really think, especially when you guys eventually do watch Canada season one, you kind of will see the journey that Jimbo has gone on from here to uh, versus the world to now. Uh, we, we had some rough starts on Canada season one with Jimbo with certain things. I, like, I look at Jimbo's glow up in All-Star 8 and I'm like, the makeup is fantastic the looks and the ability to just completely go out of the box, out of this world. I think Jimbo represents so many different things for so many people in terms of being the weirdo, being artistic. She's what I thought. I, I Jimbo, Jimbo was the winner for me. Yeah. Um, now I do want to ask you because you guys have described this elimination in uh, UK versus the world as one of those horrifying things to ever happen. Jonah level with me. Is this a Nicholas Elmy wouldn't give up his immunity for Stephanie situation? Uh, I, I, thank God I know that Survivor. Um, it's one of those things where <laughs> Jimbo was so for people who don't know. Oh, oh, like, oh my God! You talk about Top Chef. Oh my God! You talk about Top Chef. I'm like, Nicholas <laughs> Elmy got um, uh, in in a competition. Nicholas Elmy got uh, mid-episode immunity, but then his uh, main challenge dish was so bad, the guest judge of Wolfgang Puck told him he should have self-eliminated. Mind you, if they didn't want to do these shenanigans at a, that level with so few contestants, they should not have given out immunity. I have no idea why immunity was given out that early, but whatever. We were not going to blame someone who has immunity and say, nope. I have immunity, and what? And what? What are you going to do? But, okay, before we defend Nicholas Elmy for being so goddamn beautiful, anyway. G.I. Joe in the kitchen. Great restaurant, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Philly. He's from Philly. Um, so that, that, that elimination was hard, and a lot of fans agree with the judging on Canada season one is really bad. Uh, unfortunately, it's really bad. I... I Canada Drag Race has the blessing of having an amazing first season cast. And I can only really talk about the first season cast because I haven't seen two, three, or four yet. Uh, it is on my watch list. Um, they had such a lovable cast of amazing, talented queens that it saved the bad decision-making because there was a, a lot of questionable decisions. As we got to the end you can kind of tell production and the judges aren't exactly feeling Jimbo in the way that the fans are receiving Jimbo. Jimbo, uh, when it comes to the very out there quirky queen, a la Willow Pill, Evie Oddly, the fans really latch on to them as these, you know, the weirdo queer kids. Um, so when Jimbo was eliminated, granted, all the, every challenge had BS tops and bottoms really at most points. I think the judges had an idea of who the top three was going to be, so Jimbo didn't really fit that narrative, which is unfortunate. Um, but to be fair, Jimbo can't lip sync. So, all right. Yeah. I, 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 
I, I'm going to wrap you up because we got to get to some Project Runway that you don't want to know anything about yet. No, so, not yet. All right, Jonah, where can everybody find your unbelievably handsome self in your new place? In my new apartment that's very echoey. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at TeakJonah. That's T-E-A-K. Man, handsome. It is always worth talking about something you got us into like Drag Race, but it is so much more delicious when your unbelievably hirsute face makes its appearance alongside us. Thank you so much for jumping in for Drag Race, and we will see you for Fame Games and the finale. Sounds good. Thank you for having me, everyone. Like Love you, kid. Oh, terrific. I was going to go remove him. Um, I all right. got you. Now to the thing that I didn't want to talk about till he was gone. Two of the most shocking eliminations in the history of Project Runway, back-to-back, shocked me to my core Victor, you were one of the most improved designers. You looked so in your element this season. Like, yeah, I make a lot of jokes about how attractive he looks. But you know what I actually say is like 40% of me thinking someone is attractive? Confidence. I find confidence so attractive. And Victor's newfound confidence was incredibly sexy. Shockingly, though, the most confident designer ever, Hester Sunshine. This season seemed so lost, and her elimination unfortunately felt organic. But this was a bitter pill, because while nothing really happened in Victor's elimination episode that really affected me, I literally tell people that Coteau is like one of the greatest reality competitors in history, and the ugly things that came out of her mouth really shocked me. And I have maintained that Karasan is an actual goddess on Earth, despite the shoe thing for 15 years. And this episode, Karasan, reminded me why I believed in her so much that it got me into reality TV for the first time in my entire life. I only started watching reality TV because I believed in Karasan. If I had known that she did the costumes for Descendants sooner, I would have told you sooner, and we would have watched them all in one day. I believe that. I my love for Karasan is like I will literally start conversations with people who have never heard of Project Runway to talk about her. It's one of the things I asked TK to watch it for. I was like, you don't understand the first season. There's so much talent. I I don't know. Uh, Karasan speaking up for people and kind of this is not in the spirit of what we do. A la Chet on Unreal. I was moved that this person whose talent is like limitless. I don't know. I have been a Karasan fanboy since I'm a young man, and I am so proud that she stood up as a pillar of mental health in this episode. Uh, losing Victor was hard. Losing Hester was hard. But seeing some of the ugly things that some of my favorite designers said really did not make me feel good. And I think my big issue even is the direction that they are putting all of that vitriol and anger. I understand their frustration, and frankly, I have repeatedly felt the frustration that they felt here across different seasons. And we often say, the judges seem like they're out of their minds. They seem like they're playing games. But to see contestants turn on each other for something that they have nothing to do with, you make what you make and you turn it in, and it is for the judges to determine what your position is. And especially from a competitor who, when selected, was very, I thought I was going home. I didn't tell them. 
she all but said, I didn't tell them to pick me. And that is the case. And it's not a contestant's fault, especially when they are not then feeding into a narrative of, yeah, I did make it and you didn't. So to see them then continue to turn on each other, even when the person that they were upset with wasn't feeding into their narrative was all very strange. The first thing I went to was, uh, you know, season nine of Drag Race and in the finale where there, people are describing how uh, Valentina's fans were saying that like Alexis and Nina should have gone home so that Valentina could stay. And there's this moment in this episode where Kane and really Kane deserves a lot of this. You know, I was really bummed that Kato, Laurence, uh, Bijmi and Praje all were also in on it. But Kane uh, was vicious to Anna's face. Really right to her face and really just stopped short of saying it felt like he remembered that the cameras were there and stopped short of saying you should have eliminated yourself. You should have said I cannot accept this. Yes. Uh, you know, it's disrespectful. Which is ridiculous. And it, it is, you know, it, it's completely ridiculous. And it, it, it was not disrespectful for her to at worst do the same garment twice and you know maybe it wasn't good and but like how many times have people made not good products on a reality tv show and just kind of on a wing and a prayer hope that they did okay uh that's not a sin at all that is part of the game i honestly did not feel that the two garments were so similar that this kind of vitriol was necessary uh, and you know, I was really like, did she cheat and I'm missing it? Like they are so people make bad stuff on shows and I don't know. It was just so odd and hurtful and, you know, to have it happen in an episode that is clearly pretty dark anyway, because it's losing its sunshine is just, mm. it's, it was a lot all at once. Uh, I can't say that Hector, Hester was a surprising elimination, uh, which is we're coming off of last episode where like everything makes perfect sense and still we get to the shock elimination that it's Victor. This one, it's like nothing makes sense except for the fact that uh, Hester unfortunately just had the worst garment and did a thing that I like they even acknowledged she took a huge swing and just completely failed and unfortunately this felt like the one time where you wouldn't say to the other contestants you were less bad but your swing was so boring that you're going home because of that and I feel like a huge part of the narrative of this episode you know what Hester is going through I feel like it had been pretty evident since the beginning of the season that they are going through a change right now and I feel like they've been coming across as sort of lost already but a huge element of the narrative of this episode that I feel comes to fruition with the ending and with the reaction to the garments is I felt like Christian kept running around the running around the workroom being like what is anyone doing what are all of these garments like he has that moment with Rami where he's like you're acting like I don't know you and I wasn't on your season and I don't know your process and yeah it's been a while but like we know each other and like 
uh was it Karasan's garment that had like the ass hanging out in such a way yeah. she tried <laughs> to put an extra strap of fabric and it still wasn't long enough and the number of people who had asses hanging out I I definitely saw where the judges were coming from in reaction to some of these garments because it felt like I don't want to accuse the designers of just sort of coasting on being the all-stars, but I even wonder if that is where some of their reactions came from. Was it more from a place of embarrassment where, yeah, you guys kind of did turn in some sort of weird, generic, not very special garments, and at the very least, the thing that you can definitely say for Anna's garment is it was distinctive, and that at least met the requirements of the challenge, whereas everyone else was just sort of not quite there. And it was a difficult challenge, and no one wants to, I don't want to take that away from them either, but you guys are all stars in season 20, and they're trying to elevate this, and that's why it was a weird fabric and a weird color. And they even took you shopping in the end. And yet still, so many of the garments that were turned in just sort of fell flat. And then they're all angry at each other. And it was just a very strange narrative all around. I will say I was fascinated. Uh, you don't usually get reality TV that... Um when there is an emotional moment of some besides like the elimination or whatever when there's other kinds of emotions there's inevitably a moment where i'm like oh but they had to refilm that like you know they weren't actually fighting there uh, it's too cut and dried this really did feel like it snuck up on you uh, and it starts with Kato being like, what? And then they just get worse and worse. And you see this moment where she goes to pour herself more wine. <laughs> and it's like too much wine. Uh, and they're just being awful. And it doesn't feel produced. It doesn't feel repeated. It doesn't feel unearned. It really feels like capturing a moment of human true reality true reality truly something ugly and you know i do believe people can be redeemed through ugly things so this is not me being like well i'm done with all of you now truly uh but i do hope it gets addressed and something gets said and that there is some making of amends uh more like Karasan really did turn it around and push back and that was beautiful and uh so brave because like in the face of so many people so many to 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 do that is very brave and I you know they end on the note of her saying that I really wish uh I really hope that next episode we start on the note of what everybody's reaction was and you know did they do they feel bad do they make amends uh or do they just think they were completely in the right here i just need to say that the other two heroes of this episode are nina garcia who i i know it sounds ridiculous but nina garcia was kind of brave to say i hate all of this this was her um I don't want to hear any more goddamn excuses. Excuses. Yes. Yeah. Yep. She was just like, I am absolutely shocked. And I, as a teacher who has been shocked, yes. Uh, and the other hero was Brittany. It, you know, I have several um, 
you know, invisible disabilities. I have an autoimmune compromised and uh, I've, you know, I've had surgery in the process of doing this show. We had to miss several weeks. There's some weeks of like the old version of this show where I sound like I'm on life support. Uh, but as a person who's faced health problems, Brittany sharing her truth was the kind of thing that many of us in recovery need to see. And um, she made me feel loved just by being herself and I just want to give it up a little bit to Christian. This was his challenge. He actually designed this challenge. This was his idea. And I frankly think everyone let him down as a mentor. So, yeah, I have to say, though, this got me into a moment where uh, the stark difference between Tim Gunn and Christian became very obvious. And this idea that. I just maybe wish that Christian's role had been more like host Good or call. something that indicated, you know, cause he like that moment with Rami, uh, you know, Nico talks a lot about how the two of them, the vibe is just like, uh, that they fucked like crazy their season. <laughs> and this was a moment where I was like, Christian, you're not speaking to this person from a place of authority and I'm also glad you're not because I don't yeah. really feel like compared to him, you are an authority. I feel like mm. you're colleagues. Yeah. Uh, and that's fine. It's good to be colleagues. But uh, Tim Gunn, if nothing else, always came with like a my training, education, distance from the practical nature of this industry and my just straight up age means that I can be wise old Tim Gunn. And occasionally Christian's vibe is very much like, oh, I wish I wasn't hosting this show so I could drink wine with you. And uh, it's funny and cute, but the show doesn't really know what to do with it. The producers don't really know what to do with it. And this season, especially where they literally are colleagues of his. And, and many older than him, specifically. Many older than him, uh, you know, many, uh, maybe arguably not financially more successful, but like Karasan's career is just different. But Emmy's mentor to her, I don't think yeah. so. No. More uh, like liaison almost, I think yes, would be a I better actually, word. I love that title. Uh, and I love the function that that would be. But because um, he serves a function still, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. I just, uh, I think that it's just really different. And having not seen a ton of Christian seasons and seen a, almost entirely Tim Gunn seasons, it, I just really feel that difference. And I really felt it here. And while I do really like Christian, I, I just, I'm wanting something different from this particular facet of the show. I just need to say one more time, my assumed winner from day one, day one is continuing to fill my heart with everything I've ever needed. Karasan, I literally fell in love with you as a boy and your work has continued to affect my life. And I, I can't help but feel romantic about you. Like literally romantic. I you remind me of when I felt more hope in the world existed and you continue to be that it's really cool. And I'm not actually crying. There's just sweat in my eyes. Cause it's still 92 so fucking degrees. Uh, right. The really yes, big bummer about everything that you're saying though, in a good way, but also in a bad way is like, she might go home next week. Like this show is not pulling any punches. She's incredible. No. obviously. But I thought Victor was top five for sure. Uh, uh 
yeah. The only other thing I need to say before we, yeah. I keep talking about how Rami has like literally, Rami defined my spank bank for ten years, and now has literally said he owns the real estate. I, I fucking, he is president of the nation. Uh, <laughs> but you know who's sneaking up in a way that I never, ex- I never expected. Fabio looks yeah. so beautiful in in their confidence. Their confidence is so beautiful. I I think it's sexual and I think it's gorgeous, but like I genuinely think it's stunning in human achievement who Fabio has become. And I'm like excited. Like and now I'm gonna follow Fabio's career no matter what. Because Fabio has shown me that they are a person who is about the quality of human spirit. It's been the the other really heartbreaking thing is that Hester and Fabio are both going through journeys of uh, gender identity differences and changes and nonconformity. And it felt like Hester was here to have that last moment of being like, and here I am please see all that I'm doing as the Hester, you know, today and losing that is a real heartbreak where yeah. Fabio is much more like if I go home, I'm, I'm leaving Fabio. Like, I don't need you to know that I am Fabio to be Fabio. Yeah. Um, and just the, the photo of him, of them as a kid, uh, was so phenomenal. <laughs> Kevo. God bless. You watched me love dra- you watched me love Project Runway from afar. And then one day you said, There's room in my heart for this. It's it's COVID. Where am I going? So let me open my love to something I never expected to love. Actually, all of our Project Runway journey was pre-COVID. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, it was well, yeah. Mm. And you are one of the biggest Project Runway fans I've ever known in my life. And I would love to know how you feel about as we head uh, like a third of the way into a season that has literally kicked off three of the most famous competitors in the history of the show. Yeah, that's the surprise, really. But at the same time, I say surprise, but every single elimination, I think we find ourselves saying, well, but it's all stars. Who's going to be cut who's going to go home everyone is going to feel like a devastation i definitely think there's some faces on this board that i probably would have thought we'd see go home first and there's other faces on this board where it uh maybe makes sense that they went home when when they did and that's okay too well speaking of things that make sense when they go we're going to kick it to a commercial for a minute. Um, it's just a pleasure. You know, I, I kind of got into Project Runway for a guy. There was a cute guy who cosplayed uh, Jim Halpert for Halloween one year. And it was the most charming thing I ever saw. And he got into a million things for me. And the one thing he said was, I would love for you to get into Project Runway for me. And I did. And while I, I, you know, sadly have lost touch with that person and I wish them all the happiness in the world, um, they really changed my life by giving me something. And while it didn't uh, make it as friends, it's really cool that it 
changed each other's life forever in that great way. And I'm grateful to Project Runway in the same way that I'm grateful to TK and Jonah for giving Kevo and I Drag Race. And I'm grateful that Kevo was receptive to Star Trek with me. And I know that after the break, we're going to talk about a couple of things that we each kind of have a little bit more individual than with each other. But there's always room to share and I can't wait to share it all with you guys. But until then, we got some banging ass commercials to bang you with. So uh, come bang yourselves. Get banged. Oh, Kevy, mm. I see you. Uh, I see you are hard at work doing that unbelievable producer thing. Oh, you do. there Kevin, she is. Oh, you there's that gift, piece. Man. We love her. Oh, I'm telling you, just like such a great design. As a guy with like size 13 wide feet, that makes me feel that makes me feel sexy. I could be that. I could be that in a big hat. Um, I was really well. I was into the classic Megazord. Um. You know, that was the show was coming on right as I was watching Saturday morning cartoons as a kid. Like that was like the perfect intersection. That and Next Men in the Animated Series, they were happening at the same time. That was it. Um so the classic Megazord always did it for me. But then a little later I really liked uh some of the Zeo designs. Uh the shapes. Oh the shapes. It's all about, I the, shapes. Forever. It's all about the shapes. All That's the shapes. I, was, I have to be honest. I, I quit Power Rangers the third season because I got into like Oh, boys the... and yeah, <laughs> um and kevo was like as an adult like he was like can we watch these shows together there it is. we go there through power is. rangers together yeah. i'm zeo is one of the finest children's shows i've ever had the pleasure of watching truly one of the finest children's programs i've ever had the pleasure of interacting with the characters represent ideals they represent uh failures to meet those ideals and then the desire to be better and it's just a fine, fine piece of television. Oh, and look, they've even got a Dalek. <laughs> yeah, I still don't. Oh, uh, one of those two things is the Easter Island statue. Uh, it's the one on the right, I think. I believe you. And then the other one, I don't know. Sure, the other Dalek. One is, oh, God, I can't remember what the name of the thing is called, but there's a version of it in uh, Shin Megami Tensei. It's like a guardian statue situation. Oh! You know what I'm talking about? The eyes? That yeah. Oh, I love oh me too. <laughs> but this is not a Shin Megami Tensei moment. We're talking Power Rangers and Megazords. weird to me that uh, we have so many things to talk about and it never feels like enough time 
And yet at the same time, at the end of two hours, I'm always like, I could have talked for four, but I'm still tired, right? So we're running a little behind schedule. So I'm going to keep some of my words on this a little brief. Uh, I've made some comments about it over the uh, years. But so now that we've done this highlights and spotlights thing, we just spotlighted a bunch of shows we love. And now we're going to run a couple of really special highlights to us. And I really want to highlight something that seems so silly. My parents were both really hard workers. Like, so I have really hardworking parents and like, you know, whatever. They maybe could have done things differently, but like their work ethic is incredible to both of them. And I was watched by my aunt growing up uh, and she was a wonderful woman. And uh, one of the ways she kept us busy was she would put on game shows. And then when I reached old enough to no longer be babysat and like I'm like 11 years old and like I can be home for a couple of hours the only thing I kept on was game shows and American Gladiators and The Price is Right were my friends and Rachel Reynolds has been a part of my daily life for 20 years and I am so grateful to Rachel Reynolds because uh, actually she is the victim of sexual abuse on set and has persevered so much throughout the Bob Barker era and like kind of owns a part of the show as a result <laughs> and is um, she's one of my heroes, actually, like unironically, actually, seriously, she's a hero to me. And I think Rachel Reynolds is uh, just one of the most incredible people in TV. I literally buy digital editions of the magazines that do spotlights on her. Actually, I love her so much. Um, I just think she's great. I have a really personal attachment to all the Price is Right models. But Rachel Reynolds on June 6th received a 20th anniversary special. And it was really beautiful. They themed the whole episode to her. Her kids and uh, her her daughter and her husband came out. And uh, I, I don't know. There's a lot of minor little celebrities in your world that you don't think about a lot. And uh, Rachel Reynolds is like actually one of mine. And uh, she's always my favorite model. Uh, and number two is, of course, Devin Goda, the most unbelievably handsome uh, model on in game show history. But... Rachel Reynolds, thank you for 20 years of just making me feel like not alone when I turn on the TV at 11 a.m. It's just really cool. You've outlasted Drew. And uh, speaking of beautiful women who made my world this week, I love very few fictional characters the way that I love Electra Nacho. And I was on the phone with TK. I So I am so weird about Electra and Jean Grey that I have a Google alert set to ping my phone like it's an emergency text and hit my wristwatch. And so I did shout at me on the phone like there was an actual emergency. I heard that. And there uh, was. Jennifer Garner, one of the actual, no, I mean, like, I mean, it's like actually one of the best actresses of her ilk, um, one of the most talented, at least, and see the first two seasons of Alias, if you need any proof of what she's capable of, uh, you know, maybe skip season three. Um, she is returning to the role of Electra for Daredevil, and for those of you who don't Deadpool. understand, Deadpool, Jesus, thank you, oh my god. Um, you say what you, you want to believe. 
for those who don't understand my relationship with Electra, she can be married to anyone she wants. But if you're asking me who I ship her with, the only person I could ship her with in this whole world that is not Daredevil, other than Typhoid Mary, is Wolverine. And so for her to appear in a Wolverine comic, when it feels like it's going to be the Larry Hama era Electra, when it feels like it's literally an era of Electra that TK and I have talked about on the partner comic show of this. I'm also hoping Movie, sort of... you said comic. Uh, Wolverine look, I want movie. what I want. I want what I want. And uh, just getting Jennifer Garner to step back into the role of Electra really feels like a gift if she brings her daughter Wild Thing because it's going to be Electra and Wolverine in a movie together. If she brings her daughter Wild Thing, it's literally possible now. It's literally possible. Something that TK and I love so much that it can't exist is possible. I am unusually excited about this. I'm a huge uh, Jay Gar fan. I, I, you know, I, I think we feel the same way. I love Alias. I love her. The uh, Daredevil and Elektra films are not great. Uh, they were all we had back in our day. We didn't have superhero films like you kids have them today. Um, and it was clear that she was down for the role. She's not correct for it. Uh, but it was clear in the early 2000s that she showed up to play this character to the best of her ability. And, you know, that's more than you get from, like, people that we love in present-day Marvel movies. So there's a big part of me that's always like, yeah, she gets to be, you know, she gets to be in the mix. Uh, and that she is the age that she is means that exactly as Nico has said, she could play a version of the character that is, you know, around the same age that Jennifer Garner probably is right now. And that is the one from MC2. And she is married to uh, Logan and has a daughter named Wild Thing. And, you know, she could not be playing anything remotely resembling this. And she could be playing the, you know, MCU version of it. It could go so many different ways. But we know at some point we're probably getting another iconic, gorgeous 22-year-old in the mix playing Elektra for... For Daredevil, that's happening, and that's great, and we're gonna have a lot of fun with that character. And I very much hope she, you know, can uh, do justice to the complex character that Elektra is. But in the meantime, if we're going to be doing this thing that Daredevil appears to be, or that uh, Deadpool appears to be doing, thank you for pulling doing in it. all of these, you know, silly Fox things that we really are like, haven't we graduated from uh, Daredevil, Elektra, Matthew? I'm glad that it's this this person, this version, uh, and that we maybe could do something a little fun and special with it. Kevo. Electric next. nachos. Thoughts on electric nachos? You know, we're seeing so many reports from this movie. And... <laughs> it's just a report central. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like we are getting from Deadpool 3 perhaps what I had thought and hoped we were going to get from Multiverse of Madness. And 
I don't know. I'm sort of 50-50 on the Deadpool movies. We never saw Deadpool 2. We watched Deadpool 1. I support Ryan Reynolds, and I support the stuff that he does and the things he finds interesting. And especially because this is now going to be Deadpool pulled into the MCU and being produced by Marvel Studios, I feel like there's going to be a lot more synergy and thought put into what's going to be produced. But... You know, this is, it's such a strange movie because I don't, I can't assume what this one, but there's going to be surprises left. Maybe there won't be. Ryan Reynolds doesn't care. You're going to come see his movie or you're not. And frankly, we could know everything about this movie and it could still rocket to number five highest grossing film of all time. Ever. Yep. I, I, I don't know what to expect. I, more than anything, what I, all I hope so far is that we haven't seen any lies I hope any reported cameos <laughs> or exciting things aren't. No, fuck you. It's not in it in the end. That'll upset me. Or plantation-themed weddings or just a rumor. Wait, you don't, rather... you don't want a couple lies in there? You don't want a couple sneak fakes? I mean, only positive ones. I don't want sure. it to be, haha, we told you Jen's in it and she's not. Like, she's I, if her there character are... from Party Down. Would I hate that, though? I don't know. At least she's in it. Yeah. She's just playing Jennifer Garner, having played Electra, Like, something like that, I would even accept in a very um, Kevin Smith, Jane, Silent Bob, Strike Back sort of way. I would appreciate that sort of meta. Thank you. I'd appreciate that level of meta. Shannon Doherty in that movie. Mm-hmm. But okay, like, I, I Shannon Doherty get something like that. It's I need Shannon Jennifer Doherty Garner. to play Electra. I would love Shannon Doherty in this movie, too. Yeah, I, I hope those are the surprises. Like, I hope it's like he reunited the cast of 15, which was the Canadian teen drama oh, he was on. Me, I know 15. But the I, I don't trust our audience. I know we are a bunch of weirdos. But, yeah, I would love something like that. Yeah. Well, now, no, no, no. From no, no, a no. multiverse that I inhale to a multiverse that I'm really excited to get to be part of uh the incredibly handsome man uh with the great haircut right below me uh is kind of the the lead in our foray into what is i think technically i was doing a little bit of research so i could talk a little bit more readily about it but i think technically the most successful crowdfunded universe um it's like it's like a technicality because i think some video games have received more funding than his projects have but uh in terms of a global universe, the Brandon Sanderson universe is the most crowdfunded projects in history. Yep. And it's uh, been so exciting to be part of the secret project Kickstarter. I have been a fan of these books for years now, although like compared to some people that are in this community, I'm such a Johnny come lately. Um, it's very funny because we had that conversation about Tori Amos and being a Johnny come lately to Tori Amos. And I never felt that because I was so long, you know, I've been there for so long. But this is one where I sort of do get that feeling that even though at this point it's been like closer to 10 years than five years that I've been a fan of Brandon Sanderson's work, I still, you know, there are people that have really been there since like 2006. 
Uh, and so, you know, uh, in that community, I'm just a little far behind sometimes. But, uh, you know, I've always loved these books. I found them really entertaining. Uh, I love a big sprawling universe that uh, you see more stuff is coming. I was so excited about, uh, you know, George R.R. R. Martin's stuff and Patrick Rothfuss's stuff. And I've been it's been a little bit heartbreaking that those books are not more forthcoming and that we're kind of not getting the end of the stories. Brandon Sanderson always impresses with how he delivers on his timetables and how he keeps his audience updated. But the secret project Kickstarter really just took it to a new level for me in terms of like, I'm not just excited about these stories and getting more Cosmere books. Brandon Sanderson is somebody that I want to emulate, not just as a great writer, but as an innovator of brilliant ways to bring the craft of storytelling into the multimedia landscape in ways that are just exciting no matter what. And this is all my long-winded way of saying that uh, Secret Project number three, the digital edition and audio book, uh, finally dropped. They dropped... Uh, you know, the the last Tori Amos concert we went to, they dropped that same day and uh, I got ready to listen to this book while I was getting ready for the train back up to me. You were from so stoked. Shows. I was losing my mind with excitement. And uh, yeah, uh, you, we got these really cool little kind of mock-up covers before we found out what they were going to be. And we found out the titles later and that was all great. But until I saw the book for the first time. I really hadn't quite internalized it yet. And, uh, Kevo, if you wouldn't mind. Yes, sir. So we've got Yumi and the nightmare painters, the new book, uh, a title that just already, I think says so much and yet leaves you totally confused and, uh, wondering what we could be talking about. Um, gorgeous art in this book, guys, I have to tell you just, uh, gorgeous cover but then also these internal illustrations are fantastic uh we got a very different style of illustration with the first secret project that was in the cosmere uh tress in the emerald sea and you know brandon just works with such talented people and i i can't say enough good things i don't want to really like go too in depth about what this all is uh we'll do some cosmere episodes in the months and years to come but uh that this person has created this sprawling universe taking place over not just multiple books but multiple uh trilogies and series of books and graphic novels and uh you know other forms of media as well it's all just so grand and impressive I am so excited to get more into this universe. I have been lucky enough to have several unbelievable men. And, uh, I, you know, I, it's not that I don't think I know any women that read Brandon Sanderson, but none, uh, I guess I don't know any women so pushy that are like, read this. Um, but, uh, Brandon Sanderson is someone who is at the top of my get on it list. And I can't wait to be part of this experience. You know, I feel like I waited too long to fall in love with Drag Race. I feel like I waited too long to fall in love with Dua Lipa. And I got on her at the second album. So 
I don't want to wait another minute and find myself feeling like Brandon Sando is 73 seasons in and I have to watch a whole lot of Europeans attack Canadians or something to understand what's happening. It is a Canadian incident. It is. So um, really excited, Teak. Thank you so much for bringing this, not just to our show, but to my life. Yeah. And I will say, if you are a fan, uh, this is probably not really a very good jumping on point. Uh, Great. I can't wait. Yeah. Uh, well, you know I'm starting you with something else. Yeah. Uh, Secret Project 1 is actually a really fantastic book to kind of dip your toes into the water of Brandon Sanderson. That's Tress in the Emerald Sea. Uh, Secret Project 2, you know, for somebody, it probably really is a great starting point, And it really is a fantastic standalone book. A lot of Brandon's books are not great standalone books. They really do need to be read in the context of either the other books in the series or some of them, the rest of the Cosmere as a whole. This is uh, sort of in between in that um, it is a standalone novel and you really don't need to know anything about the Cosmere to get into it. But the amount of depth that it adds to your Cosmere knowledge if you have read everything else is so significant that it, it would be like sort of a waste almost to read it on your own and to miss all of the many references that he's making and the characters that are recurring and all the stuff that's happening kind of behind the scenes that if you are even like partially up on what what's going on uh you see all of the little easter eggs he's dropping at you and how he's attempting to do some of his like universe building and explanation through this particular story so if for some reason you are so drawn to this uh and i will say that it's a beautiful story about um noodles really i mean it's uh basically all of brandon's uh worlds and stories are inspired by other cultures this one is clearly uh inspired by japanese culture um they all take place on alien worlds, so everything is kind of reset for that setting but uh if 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 japanese culture is really your thing if you love noodles this might be your perfect first novel but uh i highly recommend getting some you know basic cosmere knowledge in before you start this because really it will be so rewarding i've been having so much fun uh, watching my depth of universe knowledge increase as I uh, read this really cool, beautiful story. Speaking of cool, beautiful stories, uh, Kevin. Uh, speaking of women who actually do uh, try to coerce you into reading things, actually, yes. uh, we're going to keep with the theme of literature in a way. Uh, I am also, by the way, also very excited to learn more about this franchise, the passion and enthusiasm that you bring uh, for the Brandon Sanderson series. Uh, it, it it definitely is the thing that is uh, making me most intrigued to uh, start downloading it into my brain, for sure. Um, but now on to a subject that uh, has been voraciously advocated by show contributor Tori Sheehan mm -hmm. to the point where I promised her we would potentially be covering this in some form, some way. Uh, the trailer for the upcoming book film, Red, White, and Royal Blue, dropped this week, and this is uh, my highlight of the week. Uh, more than anything else, because of the gay. Uh, we love the gay. We stand the gay. And, you know... It's just been such a long, hard ro road for 
queer visibility for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100 Millennia. years. Yes, and the fact that the trailer, the official Amazon drop for this trailer reached a million views in 11 hours uh, was really cool. You know, do I necessarily think this is going to be the greatest blockbuster of all time? I don't know. Do I think Uma Thurman looks kind of weird here? Yeah. Um, but you know what? Royal bros. So whatever. Yeah, you know, I, I like this dude. He's playing a lot of gay roles for uh, someone who hasn't said anything about whether or not they're queer yet. So that's dick? something. Uh, the one on the right. The, 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 yeah, he was on Minx. Uh, this one who plays Uma Thurman's son, who is the American one, who is the son of the president of the United States. Uh, he hung Dong in that show Minx, I believe, uh, and is super friggin' hot. Uh, this guy is the one who was in the Camilla Cabello Cinderella. Uh, he was in the Craft sequel. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, he was in that weird Sophia Carson movie about Purple Hearts that just don't don't go watch that movie. Watch Cinderella before you watch that movie. And that's that tells you a lot. But still he's super cute. Kevin, uh, I... Oh, if I could jump in on something. Please do. I am famously kind of critical of anything um saccharin or uh conceptually tropey i came to a place a long time ago where i was like i have no place for gay tropes in my life because i am a gay trope in a lot of ways and i don't need reminders of the ways in which i feel kind of redundant and i really did not enjoy the phoenix miniseries that came out last year or two years ago now uh featuring one of my favorite characters in the history of comic books like actual Echo, uh, Maya Lopez, and I remember saying on air, I don't care that I think this book is like a C minus. You find me the last time Marvel gave a native creative team the opportunity to tell the same kind of tropey story that white people get to tell every fucking day. And I think because... I look, I just had a real great time in a gay campground where I did some questionable things. So, like, look, don't get me wrong, I don't live an ungay life. But um, by the way, everybody go to camp out in the Poconos, that's a good time. But um come visit me at C5. But this was so well made as a trailer. I can't speak to the film. I just didn't have anything shitty to say, and that's if you know me. Uh, you just went oh, bingo is what just <laughs> happened. Uh, so I am a cynic and I am a cynic in, you know, as GK Chesterton said, I am a cynic in the severe form of a Frenchman. You know, I, I have absolutely no love for priests and never could, but there is something about that. So yeah, I guess I'm Valentin, but there is something about, this trailer that was so earnest melted my faggoty little heart. I I didn't right. want to like it, but I did. And that's the sign that it was at least really well made and I'm in. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad you brought up that 
Phoenix miniseries because it was one of the things we were so clear about at the time, which is everybody else should get to make a billion things so that it doesn't matter if they're not all great. Uh, it was the thing that Elizabeth Banks said about possibly doing another Charlie's Angels. How many times have they remade Spider-Man or Batman? We got the same movie with uh, like separate films with Ashton Kutcher, uh, Justin Timberlake, Mila Kunis, and some other woman doing. Yeah, Natalie Portman. Time. Natalie Portman. Thank you. At the exact was... same time. Friends with Benefits and something... No Strings Attached. No Strings yep. Because I Nailed saw it. the oh, Ashton so one, impressed. not the Mila one. Yeah. So, you know, if this were a heterosexual romance film, in the time that it took for this to get produced, there they would have released 20 more, and nobody would have batted an eyelash. So the fact that we're doing one... Uh, yay! It's the least that we deserve, and... Worse comes to worse, it's bad. But anything else, you know, we just get another thing that we get to kind of have fun with and like and uh, laugh at for all its silliness. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, Kevo, do you have anything more on this thing I'm really grateful you brought to my world? Yeah, no. Um, really excited. Love covering queer shit. So hopefully we'll cover that. I think all we have left now is uh, just a couple highlights from our regulars. Stuff we don't want to get too uh, far in depth on because we're going to cover them deeper later. But they're continuing series. So they're uh, things we have stuff to say about. Uh, one thing in particular that I don't want to speak too much on now uh, because there's been a lot of drama and I don't know how I feel about it is... Uh, Great food truck race had some surprise eliminations and some pr surprise twists and turns this week as well. Uh, so we should definitely include that in our uh, highlights section before we call it a night. And I will say I'm glad that it's not a spotlight because I think it's a story that maybe has one more episode in it. I agree. Uh, what happened with a particular truck and how it is the situation is evolving feels like we were getting hints of it two weeks ago there's this most recent episode where things really change and i think we need one more to see the fallout so i suspect we will really want to talk about this next week but uh i haven't seen nearly as much of the show as you guys have and from what i understand uh we got a first and that's exciting which is and crazy that we keep getting these first still so late in the life of this franchise. Yeah. yeah. And what shocks me is that I'm troubled by the format of the show in some ways for the fact that it can still give shocks. Something that was asked is why there's only ever one person in the truck and two people in the car. The follow car, yeah. And it's got to be because essentially it's impossible to film audibly in that loud ass truck there's something about you just don't realize the human drama i was in a, a writing class and the uh teacher had won an emmy and i was in with kevo and the teacher was like an emmy award winner for her uh tv movies and she was an emmy nominee for other tv movies and she was a very talented woman and she was very cool and she brought in these friends of hers who had also won emmys and while my teacher had like praised the shit out of my script for at least trying to do something different, they dismissed my script immediately. And they were like, 
this is about something too mundane. No one will ever watch this. And within two years, the rise of reality TV, the most mundane events, became uh, the stuff of legend. And I just really think I wasn't onto something unique. I'm not special. I, I mean, I am, and I'm onto plenty of things unique. Hey, check me out. But um, I was just speaking on behalf of a demographic whose interests weren't being respected by the people in power. I didn't discover reality TV, but it was really interesting being in a position early in reality TV to speak to a television writer with executive level who was like, no one will ever care about the day-to-day -day events of something on a food truck. Now, that wasn't the exact example, but it was very close. And um, this is a, a quite a moneymaker. And I don't know. I love it. And TK, the fact that you're very refined NYU man heart finds it in you to deign to watch this instead of the bear makes me feel special. Oh yeah. The bear can go fuck itself. I'm sorry, but uh, I, mean, I watch it for hot older boyfriend and I just can't reality TV is such an important thing for food because romanticizing kitchens is so incredibly dangerous. And yeah. The bear doesn't do you know, is not trying to say that, like, isn't it all great and fun? I do think that there is always going to be a level of glorifying toxicity and kitchens are just such dangerous environments. And I think even on the best, you know, most overproduced cooking show, you still do see the reality of how uh, dark things get. Uh, food trucks are their own sort of special slice of that. And I think the great food truck race does really show a a rosy side but a particularly important slice of food truck culture uh and what what that world is like and i think you know a lot of the people who are just trying to make it and are much further away from the world of restaurants than you might think so i don't know it is a pretty fun pretty cool show and uh i have just so much respect for these people and i really i hope one day that somebody from portland maine does make it onto the show and or that they come to portland we yeah. have a weird troop food truck culture but we have a real food truck culture here and uh tyler florence you must experience this yeah i've eaten in la at five-star restaurants where I was insulted by how much the water cost. I've eaten at five-star restaurants in New York City. Uh, I've eaten all over the country. Portland has some of the best food I've ever had in my life to such a degree that it is worth saving more money to travel to Portland to eat than it is to go to local cities. So, all right. Speaking of travel, you know what's a pretty decently far travel? Space. Beth, I have to update my Star Trek Teen Girl Fangirl board. Uh, I've got a few. Teen Girl Fangirl board? Teen Fangirl Super Board. I've got a few good images for uh, us to talk about the updates to Trek. Like, uh, like this image makes a lot more sense now. The <laughs> first time we watched Strange New Worlds, which I put off for a really long time because I am no fan of the original series... I literally wouldn't stop screaming con every time 
shield ah. on screen to the point where Kevo was like, are you going to literally do this the whole first season? Like he was mad because I was getting so aggressively hateful. I don't know, man. I'd throw away 10 whole Star Trek shows just to give her more screen time. She was it's, a tough sell at first. It wasn't your fault. She's gruff. But, but this was really the end, man. Yeah. This was so good. And Paul Wesley, you stole my heart. And uh, a lot better than the fourth episode, unfortunately. The fourth episode didn't move me the same way the third did. But um, I thought the third episode was probably the best episode of the entirety of um, Strange New SMW? World. And that's, two, that's two weeks in a row that I felt it was the best episode. And for totally different reasons, I'm just enamored. Four was not very good. I thought four was probably the least strong episode of the whole series. But, um, man, two and three really took my breath away. I'm still uh, figuring this show out. Um, I, you know, I, I said early that my real problem is that Star Trek isn't doing a their present day uh, show that you know, puts people on a ship, the standard Star Trek format. And, uh, you know, when I was lamenting that both of you were really like, watch this. Uh, and it does not meet the specific narrative thing that I want, which is what's going on parallel to Picard happening on a, on a particular ship. But in every other way, it really is such modern Star Trek. And yeah, that it it does it gets me so much further than just the narrative idea alone you know if we had a show that had the quality of enterprise uh but was present you know present continuity i i would be nearly as happy as i am with this show kind of taking us back to a time i felt was well trodden enough so uh yeah i'm i'm still uh still figuring out everything in particular that I really love about this show. And I think something I really enjoy about it, you know, like you said, is that it it most harkens back to original Star Trek more than anything else. And I think it does it in a way that um, is by modern standards. I think something a lot of people forget about classic Trek, the TOS era, is that it frequently did swing from almost silly workplace comedy to hyper dramatic he's dead jim all the time yep and um to pretend that the original series at least wasn't that sort of almost bipolar uh back and forth uh would be disingenuous and i think they are doing it in such a way that the comedy matches modern comedy and the drama matches modern uh drama um i think that's still not quite the next generation, which is probably the most beloved iteration and style of the franchise. We For sure. Quite, we still haven't quite gotten to there, but, um, you know, hopefully we can. I'm seeing really positive reviews all around for this, and I think that bodes well for the yeah. franchise's future. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things that's so great about this show is that every episode i feel like my time isn't waste uh, mm. wasted um but one thing that definitely has my attention is how slow secret invasion is moving if at all now 
I'm not saying we're not talking more about all this Star Trek stuff, but we're going to definitely do like a whole episode about when Lower Decks crosses over with Strange New Worlds. So I don't know worry too much. But uh, something would need to happen for a secret invasion for me to talk about it. I was hanging out with a, one of my buddies today, a guy that I make a lot of music with, and we were smoking a bowl, and he was like, you know, so what's going on in Secret Invasion? I'm, a, I'm like 10 minutes into the second episode, and I was like, so here's what's happened. Pass we me the bowl. the same amount of stuff. That's uh, the problem. We were pretty uh, hyped on that first episode and a lot of the things they introduced, and then they haven't really done much since, except things that are weird and disappointing and maybe not real. So... What's up? Yeah, and I don't know that uh, this is all going to turn around in episode five and give us, you know, we'll say like, oh, you know, in the middle it's slow, but the last two episodes are great. I sort of think it's going to turn around in the, the half hour mark of episode six, and it's just going to give us one big like you know, big reveal or like, here's the next hint that mutants are in the Marvel universe or something that is really cool, but can't carry an entire show in which nothing happens. And in which they're doing this weird form of character assassination where they just, it's, it's like, they don't want us to remember why we love Nick Fury. Mm. But yeah, it's almost like it's almost like Samuel L. Jackson is like, I'm gonna outact this script. I did it for Quentin Tarantino. I did it for George Lucas. I can do it for the Mr. Robot guy, which I gotta be honest, this and Bohemian Rhapsody do not make me wanna watch Mr. Robot. Oh, but Dahlia from Suburgatory would. Oh my God. I know. I would literally watch She's her the eat ramen reading the phone book. And She's like... the co-lead of Mr. Robot. I know. We'll I figure it out. Um, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know what this thinks it's offering me. And I don't know what it is offering me. I mean, I know it's not offering me much, but I'm. I sometimes I'm like, do they think they're doing something? Because we're not really doing much of anything i mean this was one of the biggest moments here that that uh nick fury would have such a uh heartfelt emotional physical uh embrace with another man to me was i was like oh marvel never does that um and other than that there have been like two other moments where i've gone wow and every other time i've just been like okay but what's actually happening and if and, all you had was four episodes, then only make four episodes. Spikey keeps talking about, yep. we want to challenge the format. Mm -hmm. If all you had was two 90-minute episodes, plenty of things have done that. There's other Werewolf formats you could have explored. Perfectly. It was 80 yes. minutes long. And I want to say the other thing that Nick Fury offers is an older black male lead and I can't think of a single action movie willing to give an older black male lead a role. Something that is really important to consider in the community of like filmmaking is we pride black men on their giant musculature. Think about the way so much rests on Anthony Mackie's trend out body in Cap and Winter Soldier. But then think about the way that we sort of associate older black men with heart disease and diabetes and uh, a nation that doesn't support them. 
we see black men that are younger as strong and angry and powerful, but men like Nick Fury are written off in our real world so readily by a racist system that have no understanding for the quality and contributions of older black men. And this show taking a chance on an older black male lead, granted, he is as entitled and privileged as any actor could be with Nick Fury being played by Samuel L. Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson having the incredible catalog he has. But kudos to Marvel for taking the chance on an older black man who deserves to keep getting work for his talents. And frankly, it's important to note that outside of Captain Marvel, which was a flashback to 1995 and so necessitated acting as though Sam Jackson was a younger character, uh, pretty much... I vividly remember watching the season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where he made his second yes. and final cameo appearance. Yep. And basically all he did was stand there. The big final battle that he was involved in was him standing on one side of the room, making a quip, and shooting at the bad guy. And I was mm. like, wow, Nick Fury really is just standing there. What's and up, Nick it, he, he wasn't less engaging. He wasn't less dynamic. And they haven't, like neutered the character as a result of his age so i'm really glad you brought that point up because the, that finale in question was now nine years ago behind where we are currently and they are still going out of their way to make him an imposing and dynamic character it's not for lack of making nick fury still an engaging action lead that we are having issues with secret invasion that's for sure. No, it really does feel like they know how important and how valuable he is. They're just failing to use him accordingly. And they're failing to uh, put him in a place in the Marvel Universe that befits the kind of general idea of Nick Fury. Um, I really... I I said it before, but I lament that S.H.I.E.L.D. hasn't come back in some capacity. And there's a degree to which if they set things up right, what you would really get is let's show you a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D., but you're probably not going to see much Nick Fury because he's so important. Uh, and therefore, when you have moments like this, a show like this, you go, this is your uh, limited chance over the next six years to have a good Nick Fury story because he's so important. You're not going to see much of him, but you're going to see other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and you're going to see other stuff happening. This show instead takes the tack of like, we're not really even sure if what Nick Fury is doing has been important nor are we sure if we're gonna show it most of it to you this could all be for not but we'll give you this one story and we'll kind of test the waters a little bit uh the his you know saber i don't know if if that's gonna end up being a thing that we care about it's mm. up in the air right now yeah and if and if it's not then this was all really just kind of an exercise and slowly fading away what I think I need from Marvel, right? Like, I think about when, and it's so dumb, and it's like such a random thing, right? But like, I think about when artists try to do something really brave and really different with music. And Michelle Branch, my mom said to me, because I was like a really early adopter on Michelle Branch. And my mom said to me when I was like playing the spirit room to death and I'd gotten... um uh oh god what had washing machine broken bracelet 
and I'd gotten Broken Bracelet and I was playing it to death and my mom was like, I can hear how the songs on this independent release are good, but do you think when she wrote Everywhere, she thought, like, this is the song that's going to change my life? And I'm like, you know, I think she thought that about every song on this record. You know, um, All You Wanted, like, Goodbye to You, every one of them feels like that, although early... um, early michelle branch if you really want my vote it's if only she knew the broken bracelet version but later michelle branch if you're a fan of taylor swift do yourself a favor and give yourself the like the hidden taylor swift album of michelle branch's broken uh michelle branch's hotel paper on it she works with dave navarro and she works with cheryl crow and it makes beautiful individual songs but when you try to listen to the record it's a little bit too much all of these incredible artists to be one album even though it's a beautiful record i feel like phase four and five of the marvel cinematic universe are so many beautiful collaborators that they're forgetting how to make a record and i'm watching friends again for kevo who watched melrose place for me who's watched um you know 2000 tori Amos bootlegs for me he thinks and... he's getting out of glee I'm not getting out of Glee. I'm just bracing myself for when uh, Cordover Street is uh, finally enough. And um, (laughs) it's fair. uh, And I think about how watching Friends, actually, I'm just going to level by season six. The scripts are kind of not, the scripts are not award winning. Season five is a really strong pinnacle point of television, and then six is kind of uneven, and seven and eight are kind of a mess. But the acting is so incredible that it doesn't matter. The cast has such a good time together. The chemistry is there. I need Marvel to remember that they've got the chemistry, even when the scripts aren't there. And so you have to rely on the performances. You're not generating unique stories right now. You're generating a lot of noise. Give it to the actors because this is proving to me that Samuel L. Jackson is the powerhouse. Simu Liu, who absolutely changed my life with Shang-Chi. I've talked extensively about how I even brought like hot older boyfriend to Shang-Chi. And Simu Liu just said publicly that there won't be a Shang-Chi 2 till after 2027 because it won't come till after Kang Dynasty. What are you guys doing? Stop making tentpole plot films. Make character films because that's what sells the toys. But I will say, I think they think that's what they're doing here. I think they thought giving the guy from Mr. Robot uh, a crack at a slow burn spy thriller with Samuel L. Jackson is really like rather than relying on, you know, this being a companion to loki season two or being part of the the kang dynasty in some way we're giving him this like really you know juicy acting role like something that'll tell you to take the mcu seriously and i think the problem is that's fine do that you know give him an acclaimed showrunner to work with and some uh scripts with like you know real acting moments but uh if nothing happens and they're boring, then you've gone too far in the other direction. Yep. And I think that's the thing is they have, they've gone too far in the other direction, but I really think they think, you know, we're giving our best actor, our most prestige scripts. Kevo, you, 
you are a unique thing because I feel like a lot of people who love the MCU love it, but love it. A lot of people who love the MCU love it because of the comics. You love it because it's not the comics. You love it because it's its own entity and you have such respect for the comics, but you don't look at this and go, it's not the real secret invasion. <laughs> you look at this and say, let me grade it for what it is and rate the quality your objectivity on the MCU makes you, for me, a great barometer of if I'm crazy or not. And I would love to get your take on Secret Invasion, despite getting it next to you in bed all the time. Uh, yeah, you do. Um, you know, and yes and no, because like I've said, I remember how intensely devoted you were to the event of secret invasion and frankly it is such a great and engaging story to begin with that it does sometimes feel like why even bother using that name if you're not going to do the story properly um you know you invented agent colson from the very first film and prided yourself so heavily on look we've got this original character and isn't that cool why not just then do an original scroll story if you're not going to base it in any serious way on what the comic arc is? And I guess, you know, I I'm also seeing that side of it now, too. It's... You have so many wonderful things to mine stories and material from and adapt in ways that are truer to what the story is. And if you were making a better original story, it would be one thing. But the very first criticism we had was, gosh, it feels like they are just buying time. And why do any of this? You know, I'm not F the MCU, it's done, it's dead, whatever. It's a franchise and it's- property. And it's still making more money and still running more successfully than what the DCU has been doing. Mm, so you know yeah, what? Right. They're not failing. They're disappointing, but there's plenty of franchises that have been disappointing and plenty of franchises that are ongoingly disappointing. So, like this, oh, sorry. No, good. I feel like this is one that, like, you know, I love She-Hulk and I thought She-Hulk was amazing and, like, I don't want to say perfect, but perfect for me. And I thought it was really, really good and really fun and everything I wanted. And then I go online and so many bros are like, this is dumb. It's not funny. It doesn't make any sense. I hate She-Hulk. Why'd they even make this? This is a total flop. This is their worst performing show. Everybody hates this. And I feel like those guys are probably like... This is the slow burn I always wanted. Finally, they're doing something serious. Finally, we're dealing with world politics. I and hope so for their sake. I hope so for their sake and for mine. And if Nico's face describes what's in my heart right now, but if those people shut up about like... <laughs> okay, you win. Maybe this will help them see that this is the point of diversity of right. content. Everything not is everything is for, is for somebody. everyone. Uh, and just take the thing that you get because when you get it, everybody else is sitting there going, "Is now for me? I guess we'll all be together at you know the next big blockbuster." And I don't think we hate this, but I think you really no. hit the nail on the head. Where this is our She-Hulk, then, but we are having the mature reaction of, "We just don't love this. We're waiting for it to impress us, and it's not. But we're not burning it. We're not stopping watching, and not just because we're covering it as content. We're still watching because." You know, it's fine. Not everything has to be the greatest thing you've ever seen on the planet. Not everything is the portal scene from Endgame. 
And I absolutely don't think, because I don't like this the most, that it's any indication that the MCU is failing commercially, uh, critically, and it's not even failing me. I can not like everything. I, I, what would make me the happiest is to know that there are this contingent of people that love it. Exactly. And yes. I am not, I'm just not one of them. Not all art has to be for me, but I think all art has room as long as it's not actually hurtful or harmful. But the other thing that this does make me excited to talk about is the fact that there's a really new world of sort of like ways to experience the Marvel Universe. Secret Invasion at the moment feels like a footnote. If somebody said to me, Nico, what could I skip? Could I skip Secret Invasion? I would say, yeah. And they'd say, oh, then can I skip all Disney Plus shows? And I would say, if you skip Mar uh, WandaVision, you're skipping the best shit. And so for me, this kind of makes me think about the way that you can in uh, interact with and engage with fiction and media constructs however you want. And in the next couple of weeks, we've got some amazing shows coming your way. While uh, I'm going to talk about next week in one second, in two yep. weeks, we're going to be taking a look at Doctor Who. And we're going to be taking a look at Doctor Who in such a cool way. I'm so excited. We're going to be taking a look at Doctor Who in a shortcut, cut down, super format. And uh, man, there's a lot more than uh, 13 Doctors up there, but so many of them are just absolute bangers. Joe's up there. The Fugitive Doctor. Good for her. Didn't even notice that at first. Yeah. So, Kevin, talk to us a little bit about this project. Oh, well, um, I am obsessed with a thing I call shortcuts which is the fact that shows like this, uh, even the Doctor Who revival is now 175 episodes. Um, all those Star Treks we love talking about, Boy, DS9, TNG, they're all over 170, and that's a lot. And so something that fascinates me is uh, the idea of coming up with shortcuts and uh, fast ways to watch these things. Because even though we live in a binge era, that can be a lot of stuff to have to watch to be able to catch up on and get the full gist of a program. And you can always go back and catch a lot of these episodes and programs like this later because they are amazing and fun uh, rewatches. But if you want to be caught up, especially on something like this that is still ongoing and is coming back with a whole new era, um, what we have come up with that we're going to be talking about in two weeks is a six-episode sample platter, so to speak, that really tells you whether or not uh, Doctor Who is even for you in the first place. It's a few highlight standalone episodes, and uh, that is a bit of a preamble to some coverage we're going to be doing leading into the 60th anniversary, where we will be talking about an even longer, I believe I'm going to go with 60-episode shortcut. That is uh, a cut down of the modern era. That is a nice, fast way to hopefully binge uh, before this doctor comes back for reasons we're still going to learn. And before we get the incomparable Shudigatwa in the role of the 15th doctor. And it's just a really cool, fun franchise that I'm excited for us to be able to uh, start talking about. Uh, but before that, we have a lot of really fun coverage, including, uh, I believe it's next week. I made sure to bring this up for you, boys. I am. Um... Talk to me about this. Okay, so I just need to say that I 
even played a Splatoon at a Nintendo event that I was lucky enough to attend. It, so it's so funny. It's so many things that are TK for me, and it was without him, horribly. Uh, the first time I played Splatoon, I loved it. It took this guy convincing me that it was worth it, and now I am literally planning a Splatoon-based Tom of Finland cosplay because uh, <laughs> I almost said I love something on air and I decided better of it. But I do love my that. You love mint chip. That's Just it. Ripping down your face. And, uh, well, before I wanted to be Duncan Sheik, I wanted to be Tom of Finland. <laughs> but, Good choice. Um, before we get to that, uh, Splatoon is literally the only game that has ever made me eager to be part of esports. It didn't just make me reevaluate my thoughts on esports. It made me reevaluate how I play video games. It showed me the depth of what esports can be. And I'm just so grateful that you brought this to my life. And uh, I'm really excited to be Team Mint Chip. TK, let's talk about some Splatfest. Team Mint Chip, that's right. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, I'm excited to talk to you guys all just about the game and the universe behind it. And uh, if we pull it all together, we're going to do some live play while we talk. And we're just going to have a really good time and hopefully uh, show you guys something new. I'm excited. I'm excited to branch out in our uh, content and uh, the stuff that we decide to bring these lovely people. And, you know, the thing that I think is really exciting about it is if you like the idea of kind of like Hogwarts houses, mm -hmm. then Splatoon is kind of for you, no. even when it isn't yeah. a Splatfest where there's a team to pick, no. a division to join. Splatoon is about expression of self within culture. You are a roller person or you're a baseball cap person or you're into the music or you're into the characters or you play by covering the most ground or you play by splatting the most people. You use long distance weapons. You go for the special. There is something so unique, so high school about how you want to be as a person. I think Nintendo sometimes underestimates the quality of this franchise in a way that was why I didn't know it was so cool before TK told me that uh, cool boys that want to impress hot guys play Splatoon. I just am so impressed. You just nailed that idea. Like, the, the, and like putting it, putting the idea of like Hogwarts houses is such a thing because it really is a game that you play and answer those quiz questions about yourself. You know, uh, what do you like better, mint chip or strawberry? You can identify the parts of your personality and put them into so many different parts of this game, whether it be, yeah, your interest in the story or the characters, whether it be uh, how you express yourself in the fashion, how you express yourself in the gameplay style as well, in your music and all of these things. There's so many things to think about and choose from and sort of map your personal self into this universe and it's aesthetic it's sound it's play it's all of these things and that's why i love this game so much i want to thank you for sharing it with me because i i don't know i'm an uncoordinated doofus and for all the ways i'm like what's up i'm also kind of like i lifted the bar funny you know what i mean so like I'm like, I love video games and all of competitive video game play, but I'm also sort of like, this is daunting. This can be sort of hard to get into. I will say that getting into Splat 2 at the 
tail end of its life cycle was a lot harder than getting into Splatty 3 at the beginning of its life cycle. Definitely. If you're afraid that there isn't room for you in an eSport, I I validate your fear because fears are real no matter what. But I question if you could find home in Splatoon. And I'm really excited to cover it. You nailed that, too. Uh, This really is, I think, if you are interested in competitive online esports, this is a really amazing on-ramp for so many reasons. Man. Oh, sorry, Kevo, please, by all means. No, just nice. I'm so excited. Uh, You know, this is going to be such a great uh, stock of stuff to cover. Wednesdays, we're still going to be covering ASM by JMS, uh, a definite thing we love. We're going to be looking at more TV next weekend. We just got, uh, you know, dick sweat and everything. And uh, that was definitely not inappropriate. So I cannot wait to talk about all of this with you guys. Um, But Kevo, before you give us your uh, sign off, I guess my question for you is all talking considered whose cakes from the whole episode would you uh, throw on that list? Johnny Cakes. Johnny Cakes needs to call us. Uh, and I was going to get in there before you did. You sure were. <laughs> Kevo, where so, can you... Yeah. Oh, right. And where can everybody find me? I guess that's too since I just embarrassed myself. Uh, you can find me over on the socials at Kevo Really. That's K E V O R E A L L Y. Teak, what's your cake? And where can everyone find you? Uh, just picking any episode or any person that we talked about this episode, uh, I'm going to set the bar real high and say Nisha Lopez. Them's the cakes. I, I gotta be honest, Teak, that was exactly the same cakes I was going to go for, but where can everybody ah, we took you all cake. We, uh, while we both snack on Nisha on the socials, uh, probably tweeting at Nisha Lopez and just lauding her cakes at TK Elemental. And if there's room for anybody else, Kahana Montries. And you can find me at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-A-O-N. And you can check us out on Wednesday doing comics, Saturday doing Splatfest, Sunday doing TV, Wednesday doing comics, Saturday doing Doctor Who, Sunday doing TV. So proud to make this show for you guys three times a week, every week. But until then, you guys know what to do. You know to keep drinking at least three Trulies during a broadcast. You know to stay... (laughs) (laughs) stay strong be brave evolve daily never quit and we love you we're gonna see you guys on wednesday and then every day and we'll see you